Best your radio dial. You are tuned in to the Mark Order Podcast. Join the Mark Order. What up, what up, what up, what up, what up? What's going what on, everyone? Mark you know what that means. Terrible. I do a hard cut despite Ant. You do. What's going on, fellas? What's going on with you? Just living the dream. Living the dream as Am always. Am I choppy or is Kate choppy? Take a guess. Is it me? It's not me. Yeah, you're all over the place. Boo. Hold on. Let me let me shut down some background shit. One second. Okay, shuts down background shit. I'll say hi. It's Ryan. It's Mark Order Podcast here on Wednesdays. You'll notice no Anthony. He is, I don't know. I think he's on the corner selling his body, but we'll get to that later. How are you doing tonight, Asian Joe? Doing well. Like um, I'm telling you before we started, I just kind of recuperating from a weekend long music festival where I sweated to death and almost ran to my ex-wife and her husband. So that was fun. Whoa. More about that, please. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I did my best to avoid running into them for the past like seven years and came within two feet of them. But curses. Were you going to kick his ass? Uh, no, it was just very awkward. What are those? There's a, a long story behind all that. <laughs> well, you we will get into lost. that not on air for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you sure? We could do Joe's Love Life here with the Mark Order podcast. That can be a no, bonus we could, episode. We could set up a dating game. We won't get into like your past, but do, we will do. get into your future. Ooh, StreamYard's working this week. That's good. The comment section. Oh, the working. chats are working? Yay! They weren't working last week? No. No, they weren't working last week. It was really weird, actually. Like, for nobody's instance, we couldn't pull up the chat, um, which made it very weird. Like, I'm so used to being able to do that. Everything got. See what happens when I'm not here? Quick. Everything's ruined when you're not here. Ryan, how are you? I'm good. I'm very good. Tired, but I'm good. Um, had to reorganize my desk a little bit for, because stuff was being reorganized and didn't forgot that I didn't have my microphone on or my camera on till about 10 o'clock. Oh, so no, not fun. your microphone. <laughs> already. Bangalang. Already. Of course already, but actually, a nice little segue into the fact that we're going to be going to the 2300 Arena in Philly. So uh, I will be hearing all of those accents and more. Yeah, uh, so be on your best behavior. We'll kick your ass. I've survived the other times we've been there. I'm just saying. So Yeah, but this uh, time I'll throw you under the bus. Maybe literally. Oh, no, you're going to throw me under it? So how are you doing tonight, Joe? Hi. You know. That'd be one way to send Kate home. I can send me home is what, yes, yeah. Home. But before, um, 
we dive into to any of that, I gotta say, I know this is an AW podcast, but I was very into the G1, and I had a lot of fun watching it, and I recommend all you do too. I did not watch the G1, I'll be honest. Come on! You didn't stay up to 2 to 5 in the morning to watch Naito uh, and Okada? I may have stayed up, but for not for those reasons. <laughs> it was a great main. It was a great main. But I'm looking forward to it. I haven't I think the last wrestling show I went to live was, I mean, Forbidden Door, but with like the crew was the last time we were in Philly for Capital Collision. So no, I'm excited. No. We collided. Oh my God. What am I saying? We collided. How could I forget about not only Collision, but that stage? I was going to say, you're forgetting that amazing Gosh. stage. Just so oversaturated. I think I was just like, I still haven't processed how great the stage was. Oh, the stage is amazing. <laughs> Joe, have you seen the stage? Not in person. I can only imagine. It, it sounds cathartic and life, like life-altering. It, it is. It's, saying life-altering makes me think, like, we should probably be calling it an altar because it's that impressive of a stage. But I mean, it's so changing that you'll be you'll be just watching a great wrestling match, and then Kate will kind of like nudge <laughs> and go, that how stage is amazing. That's how great it is. Hey, but Kate. then the people busting your balls. Yeah, I'm an effing Mark. I don't know what to tell you. Marky Mark. Your name is Marky Mark. So I'm assuming you watched then. I have yeah, no problem you... with the like admitting that I'm a Mark. I'm a com it's wrestling. We have problems with it. Clearly, we don't like to admit we're Marks. Yeah, definitely not here on the Mark Order podcast. Has nobody ever no. called themselves no. a wrestling Mark? No way. No way. No. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, though. It was like the first. Um, it feels like New Japan's back, and that's good. So I'm excited to see it live, and I'm excited for the Multiverse show, too. I think that's going to be a ton of fun because that card's shaping up to be cool on. Well, Sunday your favorite, one of your favorite guys is not having your favorite match. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I was like, yes, CSJ's booked. Against two, against Moose and Eddie Edwards, which is so weird, but um, we'll see if if Will Osprey can get a good match out of Kenta. I, I'm confident ZSJ can get a good match out of Eddie Edwards and um, Moose. Hopefully, hopefully, you can. I think you're starting from a different baseline there, though. I don't know. Kenta has been rough this year. Yeah, yeah, Kento this year, but at least Kento's past. You started from like a nice. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. But, but I'm looking forward to it anyway. It'll be a good show. I I love um, those like medium sized shows. I feel like are like my sweet spot of going to. Like I like going to arena shows and I like going to indie shows. But like that middle crowd is like my is my shit. So I'm excited. So say hi if you're going to be there. It's a sold out two nights, which is pretty cool. Or close to sell out for the second night. And then I get to see Asian Joe when I go to Denver. Wait, for what? podcast movement. Joe, you're going to be in Denver? Sure, why not? <laughs> He's going to be close enough, too. He's gonna you can clear this up. with me. Yeah, well, you're not in charge, pal. You never I, leave your home. I so. went above your head. I, I, hey, I've, you know what? Uh, you blew a chance there to say whom, and you're done. Pick a side, Ryan. Okay? Do no, 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 no. If you're going to come at me, come at me. I'll come at you, bro. I'll fight you at the 2300 Arena. Me and Ryan. Me versus Ryan. 
main eventing Impact Multiverse. It's going to end up with Ryan in handcuffs because the police are going to call that he's assaulted a woman. That is correct, which is the chess move that I'm playing. Chess, not checkers. I do need to address Rob Humphrey's asking, Is there since I'm here and Ant's gone, is there a feud among the Mark Order? Yes. Yeah, that is... Uh, so I don't want to get into it on air, um, and I'm pretty sure Sean has the story, but Ant got sent home with Ryan Nemeth from the Mark Order podcast today. Um, I Ryan wanted to drink home on I an wanted, ego trip. Well, I wanted him to drink out of a plastic bottle, and he demanded a glass bottle, and those two things just do not work well. Exactly, exactly. So, um, I I think we put it behind us. There was an apology issued. I don't want to get too into it, but um, he sent he's home. Dead now. He he's dead. R.I.P. Ant. Uh, and I heard that Matt actually. I didn't know this, but he got sent home by Ryan almost a year ago. Um, <laughs> come back yeah. very rarely. Yeah. It makes sense because Matt works the other brand every Monday, so it's like it, that actually shapes up kind of fine. Like it's just like a separate but equal kind of thing. So. Play those backstage politics, baby. I know the game. You do know. It's all about the game and how you play it is my favorite Winston Churchill quote. So, <laughs> Well, shall we get into some AEW, fellas? We shall. Where are we starting? Well, let's fly through Rampage and then we'll get into Collision, I feel like. Because this is another my week wings. in a row where we've kind of had like some things of consequence that were nice. Uh, particularly in the women's wrestling picture, which is been good so that was nice to see um but we'll i'll run down the card and then you can call out things that you're excited about um but we had your aw international championship match orange cassidy and johnny tv which was more fun than i thought it was gonna be loved that kicking off the show um darby allen versus brian cage winner goes to all in sky blue versus soraya and then your roh tag team champions were in action so Good, good stuff overall. Um, I feel like the big thing from that was Soraya winning. Obviously, I feel like that was actually the best she's looked in the ring, probably since she's come back. I thought I thought that was a really strong showing for her. No surprises there, but it is nice to see things on Rampage kind of like moving stuff along in that regard. Um, and I, I like what they're building out in the women's division. Like I like that things have stakes and feel important. Um, it's a refreshing change of pace. And of course, Soraya going to Wembley. I know there's people that like hate her because of her boyfriend or just like don't like the character or whatever. But um, I'm I'm so happy she gets to have that moment. Her career was cut so short for her to like get to do this is is pretty uh, a pretty special thing. And I'm I'm happy for her. That's awesome. So uh, not a ton other than that. It was fun to see Johnny TV in action. Like he's he's so good at um holding in on gimmicks like this like he's such a perfect fit i feel like for qtv where i feel like hobbs was not the right fit but i i loved qtv outside of it um so some good stuff that happened there and once again your roh tag champions defending on not roh but they did defend on roh last week so they're at least doing both but they're gonna with, defend everywhere they are and like they have it's done with intention, right? Because you have MJF and Adam Cole facing them at the pay-per-view. So like it's, it's not needlessly defending them elsewhere. And I have much less of a problem of you doing it on AEW 
if you're also defending on ROH. So at least they're setting that precedent again, but always good to see Aussie open in action. Anything that you guys want to call out from, uh, from Rampage? Joe, I'll let you go first. If you have anything. I don't know if I really have much. It was just kind of, like she said, like the women's division getting better. Overall, Rampage have gotten better. Maybe there's a correlation between the two. Okay, it seems to happen at the same time. So, um, but yeah, just, those are just kind of general thoughts I have on it, but nothing, nothing specific. It was a, like a breeze of an hour, I feel like, of wrestling, like, which I'm, I'm fine with. Ryan, what do you think? Uh, I'm with you on the Soraya looking the best I think she's looked since she came back. Um, looked more confident, the style. I think, you know, Sky sold well for her too, so I think that really worked out well. I think still doing the, the the four-way match is probably the smartest thing for her because she probably won't win, but it then you she can get the hometown pop without the hometown booing at the end. Like It's kind of like a nice... Because I don't think you get the direct hate if four people go in as you do one-on-one. So 100%. that was nice. Uh, Rampage picking up in quality is probably awful for Kate because it might have to be live-reviewed again. Uh, I will say as someone that reviewed both products and then we switched to just reviewing SmackDown, usually at the end of Rampage, there's now like a 50% increase in live viewership. So I'm sure we'll have to go back to doing that. But uh, (laughs) my Friday nights are about to get back to being longer again. But if it's for good wrestling and not inconsequential stuff, like that's a much more palatable thing because it's matches that mean something or moving programming along is so different than like, just an hour of cool matches so i yeah you see. don't have to it doesn't have to be collision it doesn't have to be dynamite but when the matches at least have stakes it makes you it just makes it better like even if they're not the most doesn't drive the story the furthest it still helps to watch be like oh hey the Soraya won here or hey like you know these things are all good do we think that maybe the outcasts are going to split like yes. this is this new Tony Storm character, which I'm obsessed with. Um, I I feel like Jamie Hayter not being there probably derailed your first woman's blood and guts, and now it feels like they missed that window, so they just did the men's one, which makes sense. But like Tony Storm falling apart without her title kind of feels like maybe we're pulling a thread for the Outcast side to unravel or at least have some dissension. I'm thinking maybe that's how you have she to retain. Um, because I, I feel like that's the move. Now, the other thing is you have All Out on the other end of that, right? You could do your first, like, Soraya wins and then Soraya loses it back to Sheeta immediately type thing if you wanted to. They've never hot potatoed the women's title, um, largely because two of the reigns have been built out because of injury, right? Both Tony Storms have. So uh, I think there is an opportunity to do it, and then you also make Sheeta three-time champion. But I kind of don't want them to. I feel like they made the mission statement like this is Sheeta's reign in front of a crowd that she didn't really get. Um, I, I think they need the consistency rather than the hot potatoing. But then you do also have the other side of that of, of like Soraya is not in a shape where like she can probably have a really long title reign. So you can make her an AEW Women's Champion in her hometown in the biggest event in wrestling history and not force her into having a, a real reign. So. A couple of options there. Any like early predictions on that, I guess? I'm not usually a hot potato guy. I don't like that. But I will say every now and again, 
for the moment, it's okay. And this would be a moment. So it was kind of, we go back to, to the other company, WWE, part of the reason, um, I think Drew should have won at clash at the castle is because not only was he pretty hot, then that moment would have been awesome. Now there's of course, a uh, there's the other side that says you don't book for the moment. You, you, you gotta go long, which I agree. That is actually a good point too. So, I'm okay either way. Uh, I I think uh, Sheeta retains, and someone is about to win, and something falls apart, and that person who's about to win gets a title shot at all out. Uh, I I agree overall, and I feel like there's there's opportunities to hot potato titles, but because the women's division has been so sporadic, I feel like the consistency is is my preference there. Uh, Joe, what do you think? Are you a hot little potato? I am not well, a hot is, little but... potato. <laughs> I'm a tear tot at best. Um, I yeah, I, I I think you tease the moment, but you stay consistent, and I think you can still, like you said, if, you, if this is the start of unraveling the outcast, that's going to be the bigger angle, the bigger story to tell, bigger than Soraya having a moment. Um, and I think you should start, like you said, start having that at all in really kick it up and all out and then go from there um maybe into what, what would be after that full year after that yes so yep. maybe that's when you finally have that first match between someone from the outcast facing each other i think it could get really interesting too because we haven't seen ruby ruby soho in this as much um like chris holding the mid card title makes that really interesting to me because of their history, right? And in, in the Owen, oh, that was the first time Ruby ever got cheered. There's a promo sitting or booed because of Chris. People were just very much on Chris's side, not as anti Ruby. Um, but there's a really easy promo there of that, like Chris was the one that basically did this to her that brought the side out of her. Uh, I don't know if that's where you go for a title match, but that could certainly play into the unraveling piece of it of like Tony Storm lost her title, Ruby can't get a win in a big spot to save her life. Like what is the productivity of this group? Uh, I'll throw this to both of you too. There's not a lot of Mercedes Monet talk. Uh, I'm sure largely because she's been injured and because they already went to that well and didn't deliver. And it caused an, I think, overwhelming negative reaction. This is the biggest wrestling event in history. Even if she's not cleared, you could certainly set up an angle any chance that we see Mercedes Monet costing Soraya? I think that was what they were originally going to try and plan for Forbidden Door was the rumor. Uh, any thoughts on that? Let's go to Joe first. I mean, in a perfect world, that sounds amazing to have to really like pop all in with some surprises because you know they're going to. Um, I don't. She's what been seven months or something? Eight months since she six months six or seven months since injury. So. Um, what was that? Let me see. But yeah, it'd be nice if they could incorporate her in some way. Um, I I don't know if it's likely though. I Ryan, wonder what, what her her deal is in Japan because they would not what want. What is first her deal? Seriously, back. they wouldn't want her first appearance back being under a different brand. I don't think. Um, yeah, that was May twenty first. Was uh, when she went down with that broken ankle. So she's still probably pretty early on that. But uh, uh, it depends on the severity of it. I think it was like not good, but uh, you also don't have to wrestle to set that up. 
right? But I'm thinking if I'm like New Japan stardom umbrella of things, I don't want her first appearance being back being for someone else. Um, Because I don't see Soraya and Mercedes being a New Japan program, right? That just doesn't like kind of read right for where Soraya's health is. However, it's the biggest wrestling show in history. So who knows what concessions would be made? What are your thoughts, Ryan? So I, I don't know. Having her just show up seems almost like a cop out, like cheap. At that point, I'd almost say keep her away and let uh let um let that go down the road. Just it just if she's gonna and don't make fun of my road, if she's just gonna show up. Uh that being said, if you're it could if you're struggling to build out all out build up all out because you have all in right in front of it. It isn't a bad way to go. If you're allowed to have a wrestle to say show up and then go truthfully, if she's cleared for all, all out, she'd be cleared for all in. So I think you would have put her in a match and all in. I do think it's a good way to, I, a couple things. One, it has been suspiciously quiet on that front. That's why I bring it up. Cause she was getting the CM Punk treatment of where she's going to show up, where she's going to show up. So she's either definitely still injured or it's definitely being kept under wraps. The other thing is that justifies you not putting the belt on Soraya really easily. So, and I think there's ways around it, but like people are going to be, the UK has a very different perception and the more casual fan base has a different perception of Soraya than the people that complain online about Soraya. So, um, there, there's going to be a lot of people that want her to go over in that building, and you don't want to risk Sheeta turning, not, not turning heel, but like in retaining, um, feel like a lesser option. So I think something's got to happen in that four way to to set it up. But something's got to give. Yeah, and you know, I, I think a possibility of it too is maybe Britt turning heel in a way too. Like she doesn't have Jamie. I don't know if this face version of her is working all that well. So. There's a lot of possibilities. Never really works. It doesn't. And I feel like it was working when it was like a tandem of her and Jamie. I think part of the reason it, it stops working was because of the, the way Jamie got taken off of TV and the haziness around it. Like, I think it was working when they, when the first turn happens, that was kind of working when the outcast happened, but um, all the ambiguity, I think got, her kind of stuck in the mud and let's not forget Britt was injured through this too like she or at least banged up she was definitely not working and um was was hurting for sure so there's a lot of possibilities I'm intrigued to see what happens there it's nice to have some genuine intrigue in the women's picture I'll say that because it feels like they know what's going on but just occurred to me the other day I was like no one's even like whispering about Mercedes which is an interesting one but uh let's head over to collision world for a little bit we have your card for August 12th. I gotta say, backstage drama bullshit aside, which Lord knows there's plenty. I really love collision. Like it's yeah, but but if we're gonna talk collision, Kate, there's something we have to talk about. Yeah, we'll talk about the stage at the main event. That's the no, most no, no, important no, no, part no. of it. We will we will cover the stage as well. But we gotta cover that we were on it. Yeah, we were. <laughs> if you look. At that beautiful sign that says the Mark Order Podcast. Look at us. Look how excited Anthony Bowens is to be standing in front of our He sign. knows it. He's like, he that sign is it. right there. 
He knows it. He's like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm on TV with the Mark Order. He is freaking out, excited. Look how excited the fans are about the Mark Order. It's great to see security is trying to keep a straight face about it, but they can't really. Look at us. My God. At us. So, so this was brought by our friend of the show, one LT photo. Sorry, I, I don't know your your name. I just know your your handle. We thank you for your service. We thank you for your service. We will. Ant wants to talk to you. So when he's back from being raised from the dead, we'll uh we'll we'll have a okay. you, you'll have a talk. But um this His was awesome. I can't thank you enough. <laughs> Jeff. Jeff. His name is Jeff. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. Um, nice and thank you for your service in the photo brigade as always. But uh, yeah, no, this, this is the first sign that we've had on TV and look how like vivid and clear and perfect it came through. Uh, that's awesome. Marky Mark came from saying one LT photo supports women. That's right. Thank you for being an ally. Jeff. I am actually impressed how front and center he got that. Like it is, it is not like oh here's the side it is fucking visible and i love it it was really well done it was super well done i love it so i wanted Look to start it. with happiness before we got to the the rest of the show it even looks like our font like that's what blew me away i was like that looks like our logo like dead on like very very well done it's way better I than i could it. do for our own side yeah like i i could never so mine Thank wouldn't be so legible much. they'd be like what's the what's the mic rotor rod <laughs> The Mike Ordeal podcast. What? I don't understand. He's a weatherman? I don't get it. <laughs> very, mm -hmm. very cool to see us and like, mom, we made it. Lights on collision. Uh, but let's get into the collision card. We have a really strong episode to talk about. Backstage bullshit aside. Um we get the acclaimed versus the Iron Savages, who are formerly Bear Country, and I am always championing and uh, have been doing really well in ROH. We get to see them locally at WrestlePro when they're around. Um, I've done multiple times that I've heard multiple talents just talk about what a dream they are to work with, because like as much big men stuff as they do, they're just really, really good in the way that they deliver it. Um, very cool. This is a glorified squash. We get uh, the acclaimed getting a win with the double famouser uh, as a, a tribute to Billy Gunn. But I think it was more than glorified squash. It was glorified squash-ish. It was pretty short. Um, but they got some offense in and stuff. So I guess it, it wasn't a proper squash. That's why I said glorified. But they got to show off some power and they got some offense in. I guess it was just like a... I'm so used to Collision having so much breathing room and time with their matches that I, and I love Bear Country. So I was like settling in and then I was like, oh, that kind of went quicker than I thought, I guess. But, um, but a good one. Like there was some, some really good stuff in here. The announcers are, I'm going to miss Ian, man. I love Kevin Kelly, but damn, I'm going to miss Ian. Like Ian and Nigel, especially, um, their chemistry is just so good. And the way that they made, uh, the Iron Savages just sound like the biggest big men of all time was <laughs> very, very fun. I would love for them to try a three-person desk. I know what their their own deals are, but I, I'm going to miss them. But they played up the Iron Savages to feel really important and intimidating, even though they haven't really been on Collision, which I really liked. Um, Max Caster had his, his Lizzo joke in there as well. But Joe, what did you think of our, our opening contest here? 
I think you're good for and achieved what warrants you as far as trying to reestablish your claims as you know a relatively dominant tag team again now that they're no longer a six man trio. Um, I, I I'm interested to see kind of where it goes from here as far as you build them up. Now you have them going into House of Black, where Daddy Ass comes into into play with all this in the end. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that they're they're building them back up as a tag team again. Me too. I'm very intrigued to see where this angle goes. I think tonight we got a little bit of a different story, so I'm also intrigued by that. Of like, seems like maybe they lost their way a little bit without Daddy Ass being there tonight. Maybe it's just against House of Black being so intimidating. Brian, what do you think of this match? Uh, I didn't think it was a glorified squash. I thought Iron Savage. I thought Iron Savage just got enough offense in to qualify it as a match. Um, I enjoyed it. You know, I'm glad to see them being used on AEW, not just ROH. There's a lot of talent in that tag division, so start using it. Uh, they're going to start off losing because you you got to get them just on TV again. And the claim needs something while they continue to tell the story of daddy ass which is very clearly what they're doing yeah it's it is kind of funny that like so much of the story is focused on billy gunn and not the acclaimed like i know it's about them still but like the protagonist in all of this is billy gunn and he's not there so interesting little angle they're building out i'm intrigued to see where it goes um i guess we'll find out more soon but then we move into what is something that also makes me very optimistic about this women's division. We get Willow Nightingale and Chris Statlander versus Diamante and Mercedes Martinez. Now, what I loved about this is on ROH, we saw Athena and Diamante going at it. I might've mentioned this last week. I do a lot of post shows, watch a lot of wrestling, so I can't keep track of things, but uh, (laughs) I think this is from this most recent week. Um, What we saw was Diamante and Athena having a great match. Athena not doing the post-match beatdown that she always does as a dominant champion on ROH and telling Diamante that she has what it takes. She's just missing something. And then last week, Diamante found somebody. Maybe that missing ingredient. And this week, we kind of got to see the payoff. So again, just like really nice stories kind of building out here. And I also just love that duo. Um, this was a fun, fun match. I, I loved it. Um, I had mixed feelings about like Mercedes Martinez power bombing her own partner. <laughs> Cause it is kind of like a, it is a bit of a statement of how like much punishment Diamante can take and how like using that as an offensive move is, is pretty cool, but it is like you're power bombing your own partner a little bit. Uh, and the ending of this was a little bit like we get, um, a, a cheating, which is good. You want your heels to be cheating, but Diamante using her legs to give Mercedes leverage on the pin felt like, I don't know, it kind of made her look weaker because they're such badasses. Like, I kind of feel like cheat in a different way. And we're also seeing Ricky Starks cheat using the legs on on roll-ups and stuff so much that I'm like, I don't know if we need that. But overall, a good match. And I just love that we're getting, A, more outside of singles title storylines and be fresh faces like it kind of felt like all of a sudden you looked up and you had Sheeta as your world champion you had Chris as your mid-card champion you had Willow winning the cup and you had Athena as your champion on ROH like 
this is a whole other crop of ladies now that are now kind of at the helm and also says that you you've built a lot of equity into the Brit Bakers of the world and Sheeta having the title again is good but like maybe Tony Storm doesn't need that right now maybe you've paid off all of the uh, investment that you're putting into them and they don't need to necessarily be in a title picture right now Brian let's go to you first for this well I think anyone who knows me knows I I'm a big fan of Diamante I think she's awesome I think she killed it on dark AW resident dark expert so she killed it on dark and elevation for their entirety of their run and it actually always drove me nuts that that's the only place she would wrestle she, I always thought she was made for TV to move up. She's got a badass character. She hits hard. Her matches look realistic and she would fit whether you wanted her in a singles or you put her as it's kind of funny. Someone's so tiny to call her the muscle, but put her as the muscle with someone. She fit that category. It was like, that's my killer. Mercedes is perfect. Mercedes is also a killer. So you don't necessarily need Diamante to be the muscle. It's just two badasses fighting. I love this. I, the power bomb spot is one where I thought like you did, which is, Usually not a huge fan of that, except if it's Luther doing it to Serpentigo. But in this case, <laughs> I was okay because it was showing that Diamante is just super fucking tough. Yeah. And I think they need, and unless you watch Dark and unless you watch some of ROH, you do need to establish Diamante a little bit. Not a lot because there is enough crossover that people will know, but it doesn't hurt to, to build her up a little bit of like, hey, she's a really tough wrestler. Uh, I'm with you on the cheating and the legs thing, but that's neither here nor there. That's just wrestling. I feel like people overusing finishes. This is the only issue I have with any of this. And this is not even an issue because it's really not, but it's just my personal issues. As soon as they start establishing really cool um, tag teams, I'm like, man, I wish they had titles. Like I just yeah. love when tag teams exist and they can go for something like, cause like Mercedes and Diamante really do work very well together and they're awesome. So I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. Diamante has earned this time on TV. Agreed. It's really refreshing to see her in the picture, especially because it felt like she was being positioned to be important. And then the stuff with Ivelisse happened and we just kind of never saw her again, which always felt like kind of weird and icky to me. But Joe, what did you think of that match? Well, I don't have much more to add to what, than what you guys said, but just kind of to build off of what Ryan mentioned, I like the fact that Diamante is getting more exposure to a, a national audience on, you know, Rampage and Collision or um, whichever. And I, I don't, I guess I don't have much of an issue with the whole, you know, cheating to win part. I think maybe, as you mentioned earlier, trying to find an extra edge to her character, um, doing whatever it takes, no matter what, you know, whether it's cheating, whether it's, you know, taking shortcuts uh, and being brutal. Um, I like that in, uh, evolution of her character because she is a badass. But uh, yeah, I mean, otherwise, I'm looking forward to. I'm sure they'll have rematches, so I look forward to a rematch between these teams. Yeah, I'm excited to see any combination of these four women. So I'm I'm looking forward to that as well. Well, we get uh, just a huge Haas match here. You've got Samoa Joe versus Andrew Everett, <laughs> and what was definitely a squash match. I don't think Ryan could argue me on on this one, but Andrew Everett, of course, the giant. He's seven foot four. Um, I, I think it's impossible to deny it. I, it, there's, um, they have to play so many optical illusions just to get him in the shot. Cause he's so tall. 
that like he comes across as smaller on screen, but I'm sure if you're there live, you you see that uh, there's no exaggeration here. He is in fact seven foot four. Uh, this was just to, for Joe to squash somebody and to call out CM Punk again at All In. He does that here. He wins very quickly. Uh, Joe is someone that like. I'm like, you can just, you can squash everybody because usually when you squash someone, I feel like you also get a, an in-ring promo after. And this is, you know, we're, we're going into all in and we're going into him versus punk. Like you're not going to have a long match against someone. Like he's, he's just so menacing that I feel like squashes work for him. And I also feel like, I know we were just joking around by Andrew Everett, but like, I would buy that Samoa Joe could do this to like a lot of guys. Like, small guys, medium guys, and some large guys. Like, he's just really, really intimidating in the way he lays shit in. Um, I'm looking forward to the chats already calling it out Stokely and Joe versus the boys. Um, I think you're probably going to have Stokely. I think he's coming out of the G1. Um, he'll be carrying most of that match. Joe will be a hot tag. It makes sense. But that's some really Only fun stuff tag. going on. Yeah, for for sure. You're going to you're gonna want Stokely doing the real work in there. Um, but... That's a very, very fun angle that's being built out on ROH. Um, Ryan, we'll go to you first on this. What were your thoughts of this Samoa Joe squash? And we could talk about the Christian and Luchasaurus uh, silliness that came after it as well. I'm pretty sure Andrew Everett tweeted what I think, which is he almost had him. I don't oh, know why you're calling yeah. it a squash. Like he almost had him. It was right where he wanted him. He's just, you know, sometimes reaching down to get to the smaller guy, it screws you up. Yeah, I think uh, it was just Samojo's just too quick in that case. Yeah. Too quick, too short. Uh no, this is I mean, this was what it was needed to be. Uh Joe isn't Joe's building towards his rematch with Punk. That's all you were doing, which is just a reason to put him out on the mic and let him kill someone before he does it, because people like to see that. That's really what this was. The Christian Cage Luchasaurus, did you want to address that or we're we going to that? We'll go to that after, but let's get Joe's okay. thoughts on the Samoa Joe squash, and we'll dive in. Well, much like a camera adds weight sometimes to people, I think it also can shorten matches mm -hmm. and also affect people's height as well. So mm -hmm. I think that's probably what happened to poor Andrew. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's good to have Joe get reps and just to you know remind everyone how dominant he is and remind us that you know, we were without him wrestling for a for, months and years and almost never had him back to wrestling so anytime he's on tv i'm appreciative and i get to hear my name chanted over and over again so that's a bonus it doesn't have the same rhythm but no. it does have some specificity which i like and we'll talk about samoa joe again at our main event as well one of the rare interference spots that i actually liked in our main but before that we get Christian Cage and Luchasaurus coming out for a promo, but they get interrupted by Glock and Arn for, or Glock and Brock, I should say, uh, for reasons. The Glock and Brock and Rock and Sock connection. Well, there actually is a reason. Eh, ish. They left Brock, yeah, not the Glock, Brock. They left Brock <laughs> in a puddle of his own blood before. No they did, and I, I also am aware of where this episode was filmed, right? That was a good hometown thing. But I'm like, Wardlow's not on my screen. This seems silly. Uh, but, 
we do get Brock ending up in a TNT title match after Arn talks Christian into it, being the clever son of a bitch that he is. I think uh, Christian probably just knew that that man was probably packing heat on him. Um, this the only thing he's packing. Ayo. Thought this was going to be squashy, squash, squash, but it does span a commercial break for some reason. Luchasaurus gets some offense in. Um, and this was fine. It's just hard because, like, I don't care about Luchasaurus at all, but I love this from Christian. So, unlike pretty much everything else where I'm very much an in ring gal, I have very little interest in the in ring and I have a ton of interest in Christian. Um, but you also had to have. Luchasaurus getting in there and defending, right? I understand why that was what it was. I also appreciated Christian putting over LeBron James over Michael Jordan in that promo. That popped me tremendously. Joe, your thoughts on this? I was just going to say, if Brock didn't wrestle Christian, did he really wrestle for the TNT title? That's what, like, I want clarity around that. Like, I go to the AEW roster page, Luchasaurus is listed as the champion, but he doesn't have the belt. I see Christian week after week saying, you can't touch a belt that's not yours. Yeah. He's the one with the belt. So, like... Possession is nine-tenths of the law, like, right? AEW, clarify your own rules. You know what I mean? It's just it's a little frustrating. But... Ryan, any thoughts on this? Uh... Sorry, that's... I'm trying to think of something... Nope, that was Lever. basically my entire reaction to the Jeff Jarrett, uh, Jeff Hardy match tonight. So you'll get yeah, to hear I'm... those sounds and more later. <laughs> I, I love the Christian story. Like you love the Christian storyline with Luchasaurus. The fact that he keeps calling himself the champ and Luchasaurus never seems to mind, which is what's hilarious to me. I, that I do appreciate about Luchasaurus in this. Like he, there's no objection from him because at some point there's going to have to be right. So you have to no sell it. I feel like until he gets frustrated by it. Yeah. That being said, after that, Brock Anderson <laughs> is someone I, I truly think would benefit from going down to ROH and just wrestling. Doesn't even need a character at that point. And I'm not saying ROH doesn't, but like just let him get reps in front of people and, and see what he can become. There is potential there. I'm not saying, I don't know how, but like he just, he needs to not be on AEW. He needs to be on the lesser thing because I think it's doing him a disservice to put him in these positions and people are automatically like, why? Who are you? What are you? Like, even he could have been, and I'm not saying, it would have been tough for him if he was Kenny Omega 2.0. Like, it would have been tough for him at that because you're sure. coming in with so much and he's not Kenny Omega 2.0, clearly. And that's not, but he could be really good. We just put him on our way to let him just wrestle on our reach by himself. Keep his dad away. Let him just wrestle down in ROH match after match and see what he can become. And and who knows? But other than that, I love the Christian um, Lucius Horse gimmick. So this is where not having AEW Dark does hurt you. Because I actually feel like ROH is a step too high for him and that you have some of the best wrestlers in the world there. And you already like... It's tough because it's positioned as developmental, right? But like... If you have Brock and Cole Carter and like if you have so many medium guys that that starts to not feel like its own brand anymore, that's a little bit tough. And like you're not a Cole look, Carter gal. 
not in the slightest. <laughs> he's the most medium dude ever. Um, he's not certainly not the worst wrestler I've ever seen. I'm not out on him like I'm not in on on Tyrus, but he's there's nothing about that guy that I'm like. He's a he's a special wrestler. Well, this is the I'm gonna be honest. This is the problem I think with the way ROH has been booked a little bit is you should have on our an ROH TV program, in my opinion, and you'll probably disagree because it's your baby, but. You have your your really like your mid card and upper card ROH guys, which are just like your awesome wrestlers you want to see all the time. There should always be an undercard of like the younger guys doing their own thing, so that they're getting the reps in, and they're not touching those bigger and better guys until they've gotten over. But they at least get time on quote unquote TV or in front of a crowd to to get reps in. And you as a viewer might see some decent matches, and you might fall in love with a guy, you might not, but it's just one match, and you move on and. They don't have to be on every week. Like Brock can do every few weeks. You see a match of him until he starts to build up something. I, I don't disagree with that at all. I disagree with it. If you get to the point where you have too many of those guys weighing down the program, when ROH is like the work rate brand, like that's where it gets a little bit tricky. Don't love the way WWE does everything about their developmental. Certainly. But I got to say, it makes sense to have single a double a triple a, and the major leagues, like they do there, like they have, you're not on TV, you are on level up, you are on NXT and you are on the main roster. And it doesn't function this way as much as it used to, but it was like, if you were getting title pushes or at the top of the card in NXT, you were moving up to the main roster, like pretty soon there, like in the, in the black and gold brand for a while. And I feel like there's some people in ROH that kind of should be there. Problem is for AEW, the main roster is already pretty bloated. So it, it gets a little bit tricky in that you're trying to, I think, strike a better balancing act of who on the main roster can also go to ROH because they're just not busy and help out there. And it doesn't feel like a step down because ROH is a world-class brand, right? So there's a well, lot of R things to balance with that. Plus ROH, we're calling it developmental, but in a lot of ways it's not because they don't they've have They've never like said they have, it is. Yeah. Like yeah they don't, they've they have coaches never said all, it but is. They, we assumed yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. You know, NXT is a performance center. It is this thing where, like, they are acknowledging they're bringing in people with absolutely no skill, no training, and they're perform whereas ROH for most of the wrestlers, these guys are like indie, really good people in the indies. Like, they're bringing in people, which is kind of like if if I don't want to go on a tangent because try not to drag us out. But what I love about the difference between AEW and WWE right now is you have both sides. You can have yes. WWE being like, we'll take the raw college athlete make them a wrestler and aw be like we'll take the indie people because yeah and i i do think too like that's that is the differentiation of the new non-black and gold era right like i look at it as black and gold nxt felt like roh with the production budget right now um then it started to feel like ROH was Americanized, not as good, but still very good, New Japan. And then, now it feels like everybody has their own worlds a little bit, which is good in a lot of ways. But um, I, am in, I am intrigued to see what happens with the Brock Andersons and the like Parker Boudreaux of the world, because they let contracts expire. They don't cut people, but we saw Trench go. Like, there are guys that I think Tony Khan's going to have to admit, like, just didn't pan out the way that they were hoping. And are those people that are going to pivot into ROH and they're going to try and give it the college try? Or are they people who are just going to leave? We saw a wave of that with Marco and Joey Janela and all these people. So interesting 100%. to see what happens happens there. Joe was 
this Brock Anderson match, your favorite match of all time, and why was it? It was, it was a close second. Okay. Um, you know. Next to the Jeff Hardy Jeff Jarrett match tonight. Oh yeah, that's fourteen Juan, star match. Huge gap. <laughs> fourteen stars. Give Suck them all the stars. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I just listened to your conversation back and forth. It's just it's too bad that there couldn't still be some kind of YouTube platform show where it's AEW or RH branded just for even an hour, where they you know put some of these matches on there of a Brock or of let's say a Griff Garrison whenever he comes back. Um, you know, guys who are kind of lost in the mix. Griff Garrison. Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, the idea of ROH Dark, which is no story. Like, basically, let ROH be a well-oiled storyline, wrestling-driven. And then your young, super young indie talents that you're bringing in for, like, tryout matches and stuff, just put them on that on YouTube, and then, you know, Kate would love it. I actually would. I feel, I, We joke. I didn't like it when ROH felt like AEW Dark, but... I feel like it makes more sense for ROH to have a dark-like component because it feels like that's the flow of the way things should go. But then on the other hand, you're bringing in, like, El Desperado on a random one. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a very interesting little landscape. But I think what we're saying out of all of this is that Brock Anderson is probably your next anti champion, right? 100%. Yeah, okay. Just we're all on the same page. Then we get to your main event, and holy hell, was this a fun main event from where I was sitting. House of Black versus CMFTR for the titles. House of Black is just one of the coolest, most badass presentations in all of pro wrestling. CMFTR, obviously, I love all those guys. Um, I really liked this, and I don't like interferences, and I don't like them especially in title matches. But Samoa Joe just showing up to choke someone out was pretty great. And this, <laughs> this was really, really, really fun. They gave it almost a half hour. There were some really fun moments, I felt like, especially between Malachi Black and Punk, where they were just, man, there's, there's sometimes where wrestlers are just speaking the same language, and those two guys were at a lot of points in this match. But I've said it from the beginning, and I'll continue to say it. One of my favorite things was House of Black is, like, how different all three guys are. And so you from the CMFTR side of things shouldn't hypothetically be able to prepare properly because you're preparing for three different animals and you don't know which ones you're going to be in the ring with and stuff. Like I love that Brody is so intimidating and badass. And I feel like Malachi is like striker central and buddy is just like this hard hitting little badass. Like it, it feels like anytime you're there, like, somebody else is going to have an answer for you with everything to do with house of black. But I really, really liked this. I think this was a good use of JR. I think um, he still has some healing to do. It certainly seems like, but JR being in like these coming out for a big match, sit down role type things, I think is, is where he should be at and, and coaching other commentators backstage. Like it's much more easy. I think, to listen to and probably for him if he has to prepare for one thing and he's focused on that one thing and, and that's kind of it. Thought that was a really, really good call to do that. But this was really fun. The trading of the chops with Brody King is something I don't think you could ever pay me to do. Like that was just some strong man shit. Dax was getting, they're saying in the chat too, Jeff is, Jeff 
sign holder extraordinaire and sign creating extraordinaire. Um, I, uh, I, I thought this was a whole mess of fun. I couldn't believe how much time it got and how quickly it went, which I think is always the sign of a great main event. And there was so much time left. I thought perhaps we were going to have like the event, the main event match end with like seven minutes and get something else set up. Like I thought maybe that's where Joe would come out or whatever, but nope, they just gave us a ton of time and it was a whole bunch of fun. Joe, what were your thoughts? I like it was a great match. I mean, it's it was kind of the first time we saw the House of Black really feel somewhat threatened by their trio, um, due to just the caliber of FTR and and Punk. Um, I I I like the fact. I mean, like you said, the interference at the end it makes sense. You know, if you want to protect CMFTR, obviously, and in this match, and you don't want them to obviously beat House of Black, so. Um, that made sense to me, and uh, yeah, I just, it was more than I thought I was expecting going into it. I mean, like you said, they gave him a lot of time, which was really nice, and to see a lot of the character work, like you said, between Punk and and Malachi doing their little sparring head games, and, you know, I love the fact that people are, you know, barking along with Brody now, and it's just, yeah, it's just, the House of Black matches just feel special. It, it feels like it's it's event like to your point like it, it really does feel like it's it's the the treatment of it makes it feel just extremely important to the show I 100% agree with that and everything you said um it is kind of weird that they like unveiled the house rules thing and have never really used it um I don't think you need it for a match like this but to your point too like FTR being one of the best tag teams in the world makes this feel like they're finally playing on their level because love the acclaimed like Bowens is the guy in that and Max Caster can carry himself in the ring and he's a ton of charisma and a lot of fun and Billy Gunn's Billy Gunn right like so to have like three of the best wrestlers in the world across from three of the best wrestlers in the world was like a refreshing kind of feel for this Ryan what were your thoughts on the main and how, how do you feel about the the interference spot I feel like the week before the Ricky Steamboat stuff felt weird, and then this time I felt like they fucking nailed it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know who anyone who likes CMFTR. Just bad components added together. Just, just bad tag team with the worst wrestler of all time. It just doesn't fit. Don't bring that uh, into my home. Bring this fist into your face. You were being uh, mean, so I was being mean bad. You started it. Uh, Joe's like these. Are, they're children. We're, we're children, Joe. I'm gonna you know, take the bus that you run K over with. I'm gonna turn it around and head home. That's right. This was a good match. This was a great match. Uh, I you, it, it's hard. these matches are tough because you know who's gonna win. Like, and that's not a knock, but there was no way in hell CMFTR was winning the trios. There just wasn't. It doesn't fit with any of the stories they're currently telling. That being said, they still kept me interested the entire time, which that's all I really asked for. Interference is tough because you can't you do run the risk of trying. I'm trying to think of an example. There's a bunch of them, but like like the the inner circle had the issue that the the JAS had it for a while, where like you knew how their matches were gonna go. 
because it's just the way their matches went. There was always interference. Even though you can't think of an example when Jeff Jarrett is on these fucking shows. That's a different. That's a, we're we're going to get to that later. I was trying not to get to that yet. I was trying not to get to that yet. I actually was the first one and I avoided it. Oh, who, could, uh, who could possibly be an example here? And in WWE, it's Judgment Day in New Japan, it's House of Torture. Like everybody's got one, right? But, but yeah. yes. So my point, like, yeah, and though they're not in the same group necessarily, they're a little different. I don't want this to be the thing that every time Punk has a match, there's going to be some weird out interference thing. Like I don't like I don't want Punk and Joe to end in an inter- interference. It's like it works sometimes, it doesn't work others. That being said, it worked on Saturday, so I can't. It worked really well. I just hope that they after CMFTR. Well, I mean, I guess House of Black. We'll talk about them. I was gonna say, I hope they give House of Black a good next rivalry, but we already kind of know where they're where they're going with that. So, I will say, like our friend One LT Photo mentioned. I mean, they Joe did mention he was going to come find Punk since Punk hadn't accepted his challenge yet. So, you know, they put that seat out there in the beginning of the show. So at least that made sense. Oh, I know. I agree. I just don't want like for again. First, Ricky was always, would be having his spots, and now Punk, now Joe's having his spots. Punk. I don't want Punk to always have an issue where someone's coming into his match, or there's some shenanigans. Let it. And I don't think there will be, but I'm gonna say it now since it is kind of starting it. I think. I think. Like I do think at Wembley, 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 Wombly, it will be. Uh, Weebly. It will be clean i do believe whichever way they go i think you'll have a clean finish um and i truly think that's 50 50 on which way they go with that because that's just you could have joe win and punk could go off the rails which is a story in and of itself uh so there you go that's my my opinion on colliding i like it i i agree there's something that's a lot easier to stomach with interference when it's not directly in the final sequence of a of a pin too like there i'm joe's just so believable and menacing and for him to just kind of like sneak in there and joke about is so much uh is so much better but oh my gosh uh jeff pointing out yes we do need to talk about the suspended ricky starks who applied for his manager's license i am intrigued by this it seems like a a fun angle to try and sneak back on the card i'm also just like a little nervous because he should be on one of, if not both of the pay-per-views, right? So is this a way to sneak onto it? Or is Ricky working a little banged up and this is a nice, easy way to stall him out for a little bit? I guess we'll we'll see. Um, I think this but- was a way to keep him around. I don't think he had a role on All In yet. And I don't think they had yeah. one for him. So I could see him on All Out. I just think this was a way to keep him around while they build something. I thought it was interesting that the fans cheered Ricky after his explanation of why he had to whip the dragon, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I'm like, man, that's you really got the fan behind you. If you can justify whooping the ass of a legendary Hall of Famer in North Carolina, keep saying it. Ricky is gonna be tough to make heel. Now, I I don't. My opinion is I don't care. Like, let him act like this this dick. It's really working for him. And let him be cheered as his asshole. Yeah. Like, you don't... The, the one thing that always drives me nuts is when a heel turns face because the crowd just decides they love them. And then they have to change their personality to adjust. 
And my point is, that's not what the fans loved. The fans, now Ricky was over before he kind of turned heel, so there is a little bit of difference there. But the fans have even embraced him more since he's become cockier and he's become a little bit more fun. Don't, well, I don't think lose there's it. a lot of people like he was, was feuding with CM Punk. There's a lot of people that don't like CM Punk right now. Yeah, so but like, like there Joe is said, that like that piece of yeah. it too, for sure. But like Joe said, he got cheered for whipping Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and that is a loved legend. Yeah, that is true. That is true. I think Ricky is um he's an interesting one, and I I think it it, it benefits from being an AEW because to your point, they don't have like you are a bad guy. This is how bad people act. And you are a good guy, and this is how good people act. Um, so I, I, I think there, it's good. It's good to have shades of gray like that. But that is our collision talk. Uh, we are going to talk about dynamite. We are going to talk about all in. We've got so much more to discuss. But before we do any of that, I only have the old commercials. That's good enough. They're basically the uh, same. It's just old cuts of them. It'll be. Less handsome okay. Kevin, but that is fine by me. But we are going to let you know about some of the other shows that are on the Shining Wizards Network, which is the network that we are happy to be a part of, anchored by the Shining Wizards podcast, but really anchored by us here on Wednesdays. Take a listen, and uh, if you hear anything you don't like, uh, just know that we are not affiliated with any of their views, and we cut new commercials for a reason. Yep, thank you. Everyone knows a lot of things can change in the span of 10 years. But when it comes to professional wrestling podcasting, one thing is still guaranteed. The Shining Wizards is the only place to get all the latest wrestling news, interviews with the greatest guests, and of course, tons of laughs in discussing the world of wrestling. The show is still available on Monday nights at 7 p.m. East on RantDMRadio.com and Rant Entertainment Media on the TuneIn app. And it's still available on all podcasting platforms. To check us out, head over to ShiningWizards.com, where it's still wrestling talk and talk about wrestling. Because of the obvious threat to untold numbers of citizens, and because of the crisis which is even now developing, this radio station will remain on the air day and night. This station and hundreds of other radio and TV stations throughout this part of the country are pooling their resources through an emergency network hookup to keep you informed of all developments. Horns up, everyone. When on the Shining Wizards Network, be sure every Friday to check out Radioactive Metal. Radioactive Metal is one of the longest-running podcasts on the interweb, and every week we bring you a fistful of metal, including interviews with all your favorite artists, discuss all the metal news, and feature the best tunes on the air today. So grab a Lemmy, join your cool Uncle Snowy, and co-host Aaron in the pit. Your recognized symbol of excellence in sports entertainment broadcasting from the current to the way back. Join the impact player Phil Rea and the Portuguese Man of War Choppy for the Turnbuckle Throwbacks Wrestling Podcast. Live every week on RantEMRadio.com. Get all our episodes over at iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Audio Boom, Google Play, ShiningWizardsNetwork.com, and TurnbuckleThrowbacks.com. Are you 
you tired of being told what to think and believe by Hollywood elites and politicians who just don't care about you? Tired of not getting the truth when you watch the news? Tired of trying to figure out what pronoun to use? Tired of mob mentality when all you want to do is think for yourself and make up your own mind? That's where we come in. This is Justin. And Vince. Your hosts of Inconclusive Breakdown. We are a weekly anti-PC podcast bringing you entertainment and current event news without any spin. If you want to truly stay informed on what's going on in the world, then give us a listen every Sunday, anywhere you get podcasts, at least till Zuckerberg and Twitter Jack deplatform us. And as always, we're proud members of the Shining Wizards Network. Tired of the PC police telling you what you can and cannot say? Want a show that travels back to the 80s and 90s where the badass hosts have beaten down cancel culture on three separate occasions and carried on to gloat about it? Since 2013, The Midnight Journey is that show. Travel back to the malls and arcades, pop in your VHS, and join us where the 80s and 90s return from the dead. Conan, tell them where to find us. WLWstudios.com, home of the Midnight Jury podcast hosted by Midnight Mike and Calvin Brody. Also available on all major podcast platforms via the Shining Wizards Network and join in the conversation on Twitter at Midnight Jury. What's up, wrestling fans? You want something awesome? Check out Wrestling Night in Canada here on the Shining Wizards Network, where three Canadian metalheads uniting for the love of pro wrestling. Every episode, we go over all the latest news and special events with the odd, unique interview as well. So grab a cold one and check out Wrestling Night in Canada, eh? Ryan, there we are. Mike, I clicked that thing six times and it wouldn't click. That is what she said. But those are some oh, of the, the other way. shows on the Shining Wizards Network. We noticed some people in the chat recognizing that uh, those were some some older commercials. We do I, I not do want to point out PC police. Uh, I didn't realize Ann had done this. He had added them to another section on here, so I could have played the new ones. I didn't know he did it, but now I know. Well, Ant, unprofessional with stickers. You, unprofessional I, with production. I have never claimed to be professional. Nor have I, which is sad because I've done like 500 shows in the past two years. But we thank you so much for... Sticking with us through our little commercial break, and we thank you so much for not only supporting the Mark Order podcast, but supporting women, okay? Because I, Kate, am in fact a woman, okay? And there's a lot of ways you can support us. We're going to start by telling you to leave a thumbs up on this video, which helps people find us in the algorithm. Very, very helpful, more than you probably realize. We're also going to ask you to go ahead and subscribe to the Mark Order podcast. That's also very helpful. Whether Please listen, do that. Yeah, that would be very, very helpful because the sooner we get to more subscriptions, the more we can monetize. And if you could leave, rate, and review uh, on whatever podcast platform you listen to as well, that would be 
incredibly helpful to this little engine that could go. Uh, there's a lot of free ways to support us, but there's also some paid ways to support us, okay? And quite frankly, whenever Ant is here, he's like, we appreciate it so much. These guys, we appreciate it so much. I expect it, okay? I expect you to go to ProWrestlingTees.com. I expect you to look up the Mark Order podcast. I expect you to buy any one of our four designs, if not all four, because they're all beautiful. They're all different. They're all baked with love from the good people at Pro Wrestling Tees. We've got your double-sideds. We've got your single-sideds, which are a little bit cheaper. We've got the, the nice pocket square size logo with a cool design on the back. You should probably buy them all because you're going to want to wear one every day of the week. You're going to want to do your laundry. Then you're going to want to put more Mark Order shirts back on. Okay? Because here's the thing. We've got a sign on television. We're a pretty big fucking deal now, okay? So you're going to want a t-shirt, and you're going to want to get it now when people are like, oh my god, you saw the sign that Jeff had on TV? You're going to be like, oh yeah, I've had their t-shirt forever. You're going to want the cool, like, I knew who Arcade Fire was before they blew up at MSG thing. You're going to want that hipster wrestling podcast mentality. So head over to ProWrestlingTees.com, pick up one or four of the mark order shirts you could get two or three we're not going to sneeze about that or eight or eight buy them for your friends and family we're headed in we're headed into cuffing season if you're single you're taking a lady or a man out get to like a third date you're trying to move things along you're gonna want to be like guess what i've got for you sweetheart a mark order t-shirt in any one of the available sizes in all four of these designs it's called Kate, seduction, have, fellas. Look it up. I have, I have a question here about that, Kate. <laughs> Not answering it. But go ahead. <laughs> you, you're going to have to answer because it, it, nope. it's. Yeah, you are. Um, being on the mark order has not helped me in that department. So explain to me how the the shirt is going to help. You don't have the shirt. God damn it. Joe, you're just, you're so smart. But I will say I own a shirt. I have been on the mark order podcast a handful of times now and it's not helping me either, either yet so maybe i need to buy another shirt i think that's probably what it is you're gonna need you're gonna need to collect all four you're gonna need to get if you want to get the ladies you're gonna need all four mark orders. I, i'm looking for a notepad so i can write my notes down here you and plus no joe when i see you in dunbar next week we'll go we'll go over some like key you're gonna be with someone that is a day one member of the mark order podcast i'll be able to wingman you into some pretty good situations and ryan you did your first cruise that was a good scouting out situation second jericho cruise that you're on we're gonna go wild it's gonna be madness okay it's gonna get crazy by the way you had no idea how much i wish like as joe was like saying like i have this shirt I've been on the podcast. How much like a beautiful woman just like walked behind him? That would have paid so <laughs> you much. And me both, buddy. You and me both. Or if Joe was like, and guess what? I get laid every day. Crazy. <laughs> I can't beat them off with a stick. But sincerely, if you are able, if you have a couple of books to throw our way, we would encourage you to go over to Pro Wrestling Tees and pick up one of our t-shirts. We do appreciate all of the free ways that you can support as well. Those those likes and subscriptions help us more than you could possibly know. And it also means that you are an ally of women. So there is 
pure logical proof. So there is a downside. So I'm excited about it. <sighs> well, let's dive into some dynamite, shall we? You want to collide? Oh, no, we're, no, we're dynamite. No, we're kabooming. We're kabooming today. Kaboom. <laughs> we're kaboomers. We start off with Orange Cassidy and Wheeler Yuta for the international title in a really, really strong match. Orange Cassidy kind of in this opening anchor spot, as usual, continuing his uh, international title reign. Some really good promos that were we got to see on social media with us, too, uh, between Wheeler and Orange Cassidy, referencing the history that they have together. Loved Orange Cassidy saying, like, I hurt everywhere all the time. It was like the most wrestlery wrestler thing ever. Uh, I really, really appreciated um, just them, like, baking that into a match like this. Because to Ryan's point before, like, we know if we're getting title defenses right now, people are going to be retaining. Like, we're heading into all in. This isn't going to be a situation where we see the titles changing hands at all. I think she is going to be the closest one. And they did that at Dynamite 200 so that Dynamite 200 had a moment like that. But a really fun match. These two are great in the ring together. They were great when they tagged together. They're great on the opposite sides of things here. Orange Cassidy winning by countering the sunset flip into a cradle, which looked great. A really fun spot in here that I caught too was um, him catching Wheeler Yuta with that Michinoku driver, which he makes look great every single time. Gets the near fall, then hits the spinning DDT on the second try. Just a really nice sequence. These two always seem to work very well together. They have that chemistry, in my opinion. But, Joe, what did you think of this? I love the fact that the matches have changed so much with Orange, uh, you know, starting off with this one was so intense because it was so personal. Um, I, every time he comes out and, you know, he has his graphics on and one of the screens says, like, I'm so tired. And I'm like, <laughs> I feel that for him. Like, I, I, he's going to get the brakes beat off him at one of these matches when he, when he loses the title. And I hope he gets two months off just to, like, not have to open a show. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I so I just love the, the intensity back and forth, and um, otherwise I felt like you know the ending was a little bit predictable, and like you know the whole like post match shenanigans, it seems to be kind of the the usual thing for for best friends in the BCC, but uh, at least it's built towards something this time. I agree. And we're going to talk about those post-match shenanigans in a minute because they obviously hold a very near and dear special place to my heart based on who we got coming out here setting up things tonight. I'll say I thought overall, too, this was a strong dynamite. But to your point, this did feel very go-homey, right? Like a predictable title retention. We always see shenanigans after. But we did get a match made out of it and one that went in a different direction than I think a lot of people probably thought it was going to go, which I am very, very excited about. Uh, but before we head into that, Ryan, what did you think? Uh, so there was a stat on Twitter tonight that in 309 days, Orange Cassidy has defended the title as many times as Roman Reigns has done in 1,081. Mm -hmm. Now, I appreciate that this is pro wrestling, so like it's not UFC where like these guys legitimately... But there is something to be said in the non-kayfabe realm where... Every time you have a title match, he wants to make it the best match he can. That's a lot of energy. Like he, when you're just a guy going on a dynamite match, I know they don't phone it in, 
but you don't have to go to that next level every time. He had to go to that next level every time because it was a title match. So even in non-Kayfabe, he must be exhausted. In Kayfabe, he needs to be near dead, which I'm with Joe when he loses it. I hope he gets time off. I really just hope they do a series of vignettes of him just sleeping, like in a bed. Like all you do is like a couple weeks of him off. We're checking in on uh, Orange Cassidy, and it's just him again in a bed. And MD Cyclo saying the two reigns don't need to be compared. It's not necessarily the comparing. I don't, I'm not trashing Roman's thing, comparing the two. I'm pointing out just how much Orange is constantly asked to defend this title. I mean, we could compare it to titles within AEW. He is far the, by far the most title defenses out of anyone in the shortest amount of time. Yeah, Max doesn't defend that much more frequently than Roman, like realistically, no. right? Um, but I, the, I actually do think they should be compared. Not for superiority's sake, but because I feel like it's so interesting how they're opposite ends of the spectrum in storytelling. Like Orange Cassidy has had hardly any feuds with it, um, but the, he's had stories every time he's gone out there because the story is with him as an individual, right? Um, yes. And Roman Reigns has had only a few feuds over the past three years, mostly with Brock Lesnar, some with Kevin Owens, some with Sami Zayn, some with Drew, right? But like. I, I actually think it's extremely interesting in that they are such different ways to be extremely productive for your program. I think a lot of people consider Orange Cassidy the most um, productive title reign that they have going right now in AEW. And it's, uh, I mean, undeniably true about Roman. Like, I don't even like it most of the time. The ratings are insane when he's around and on. And the buys are like of merch and stuff are all through the roof. Like it's worn its welcome out for me, but mostly because of what you were saying before of matches looking the same. It was mostly to do with that. The storytelling behind it's for the most part over three years, but really, really good. So um, I have a that question being for you guys. Said, yeah. So with the work rate that Orange had put in to defending all the, all the defenses, all the work rates. We're acknowledging him for his efforts. Um, do you think when it's all said and done, do you think him having the title had done more for the title or has it done more for Orange Cassidy, the character? I'm going to steal this before Kate answers because this is something I know she wants to say. This is a case of what Miro did for the TNT where the title made the wrestler and the Perfect wrestler made them. the title. <laughs> Perfect I, I, what I, I knew where say. she was going because it's 100% <laughs> what it is. And I, I wouldn't be left with nothing when I, if she, if I allow her to say, that's what it. Listen, he was the star before he was a star before he won the title. I mean, he was one of their most popular acts. The title was new, had a cool idea, but no one knew what to do with it. So he has made the title by holding it and being just defending it as much. But in doing so, he has proven to so many people that he's more than a comedy wrestler then his matches can look completely different, that he can deliver constantly, and then he can be serious. Because if you really think about it, he's been serious through most of this run. Early on, he was very much like, all right, if you want to go, we'll go. And he occasionally still does that. But a lot of the time, he's like, no, I want, like, let's go. So I think this is what Kate wanted to say of this is the Miro and the TNT title. I actually think the down and this isn't really a downside, but if you're going to look at a downside, this run is he's kind of ruined the TNT title. I think like AEW has done a good enough job. Well, about that's ruining my point. It on though, their like, own. No, I mean, in reality, they're, they're the company booking all this, but you had the TNT title was the secondary second title in the men's division. It should be like 
world title TNT international and it is very much flipped. I think it, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot with that, right? Like, I feel like there was a, there could have been a really cool balance of, I don't like hot potato title stuff as we kind of were talking about earlier. You have MJF defending rarely. You have the TNT title switching pretty frequently, but being defended pretty frequently. And then you have the Orange Cassidy reign of holding on to it for a really long time, but being defended very frequently. Um, so there could have been a really nice balance if they didn't screw up the TNT title so royally. The TNT title is never defended. It's just never defended anymore. I don't even know who the champion is, to be honest. But, like, I mean, in the Samoa Joe, Wardlow, Hobbs, back and forth stuff, like, there was an opportunity there to have shorter title reigns frequently defended, long title reign frequently defended, long title reign infrequently defended and that creates a really nice cadence for your program they missed the boat on that with what they didn't do with that mid-card title unfortunately now i will say because you took away literally everything i was gonna say i was gonna say the same thing about miro and i was gonna say the same thing about him proving to a lot of people that he's not like a joke even though he's a comedy wrestler i'll just also add that um from the perspective of taste, those title reigns are my favorite. And I think it's not a coincidence that across all of wrestling right now, that duality has been true in all my favorite title reigns. It's been true for Athena in the women's title. She's completely anchored ROH. She's completely anchored the women's division there. It's been true for Zack Sabre Jr. with the TV title. It's a brand new title. He like was set out to mold it in his style. I said it was like the Clash self-titled album for a guy that goes around calling himself a, a young punk and that it was like old school, brought in in a totally new way and Americans are going to be slow on the uptake until the next one around. It's the perfect comparison to the Clash self-titled album. And it's also true in WWE with Gunther. Like those mid-card titles were just floating and floating and then Gunther came in and, and gave it some real importance so it's kind of cool when you have the workhorse title aspect built in and you're getting the guy made by the wrestler or the gal in Athena's case. Um, and that's happening a lot in wrestling right now. And I really like it, especially in cases where the world titles are defended infrequently, which is true with Roman Reigns, right? You have Seth Rollins doing his thing, but they'll never convince me that's not a subtitle, not subtitle, but a, su a subtitle. I get what you mean. Yeah. In New Japan, you're not on weekly episodic television, so it's an entirely different thing. ROH, you've got Athena defending all the time, so that's a little bit different, but it's on a streaming platform. And here, you got MJF defending infrequently. So I think it is a very, very healthy thing for a wrestling product to have. Um, and it's just cool to see so much of that in wrestling right now. But there's nothing cooler to see in wrestling right now. Hold on, I do want to make one point, though. And, and I agree is with you. Is it another one you're going to steal from me? I hope so. Next well, my thing. only thing is they blew an opportunity. This Orange Cassidy reign gave them an opportunity with the TNT title that they blew. Like you said, his matches don't have a lot of story. He is the story. I mean, it is a story, but the individual matches don't. It's the long through story of him. What you could have done then is give the TNT title to people and have that be very story heavy. So you have two story heavy titles and then your international title, which is defended all the time, very infrequently with a like a match story you would have had a differentiation between all and they just they didn't want to do it like it would have been world championship obviously heavily storied rarely defended tnt championship heavily storied defended semi-regularly 
international title, very few stories defended constantly. You had there you go. You have three different and, and three different wrestlers could do it. And I hope and I, I stole say, something from you. You didn't, but I will say, like I liked when we had Orange Cassidy and Swerve like feeling like a story. My one complaint, and it's a minor one, is like I wish there was some more stories built in, but if they're saving the first like mega story to be when Orange Cassidy drops, I won't be mad about that at all. Uh, Joe, what do what do you think of everything Ryan and I are yammering on about over here? How have you felt about like the Orange Cassidy title reign overall? I think I agree with him making it feel like this the second tier belt as far as in the in the, the hierarchy of championships, which you know I don't know if they intended that to happen by the way they booked everything, but it just kind of did. Um, so I feel for whoever takes the belt off of him because I feel like that's the bar had been raised so high of what that championship is now. Unless you're going to try to trace bots with the TNC title and kind of make try to put more emphasis on that one instead. Do you think he should, with how open the landscape is, drop it to somebody outside of the company or do you think you should drop it to someone inside the company either way i think you're going to get far fewer title defenses right because it's probably going to be a hill so you're going to again kind of go back to how it was maybe kind of like how when pack had it but sure. even though he was you know back and forth sometimes uh, over uh across you know in europe and here but uh yeah i i guess to answer your question probably someone within the company sure. i think they need to build up someone ryan wants it to be kip sabian i bet uh, you read my mind now you stole my words well there you go because i was fairness, just thinking it's somebody in aew who could also defend overseas with yes. a schedule like his and he did sense. so much work to get himself back into like relevancy in the company after his injury and then sitting with the box and he, this was the title he came back to, to, to win and he didn't win it obviously. So I, I'd be okay with that. I, I'm, I, that that's the thing about the heel. If you're going to give it to a heel, try to give it to a heel that will defend it a lot. Sure. If you have the right cocky heel, I think there's a way to do that. Cause it's, it's almost not to keep, pulling from different worlds but feels almost very much like how osprey sounds like he's setting up his uh his u.s title turning into the uk title of like i'll fight anyone in any country anywhere anytime like is a good heel persona to have doing this jay white holding it would be awesome jeff that's that, a that is probably, call i think juice robinson would be a lot of fun with that belt <laughs> Juice oh would God. be fun from the from the talking, but Jay, imagine Jay being putting up these defenses just as regularly. It instantly, there's no, I mean, Orange. Listen, whether you love him or hate him, Orange is one of their top guys, so it doesn't hurt Juice. I mean, hurt Jay to go after Orange because you're literally going after one of the top guys. Jay White's defenses would be phenomenal, and also Juice Robinson as a lackey with that. Oh. I'm not. I'm not mad about either. Not in the same way that Christian and Luchasaurus are doing it, but like a similar thing where he's just always around could be very, very fun. But let's get to the post match because I'm so excited. <laughs> Why? What, what happened? Did some? Did someone return? Honda came back, Ryan. My man, redeem these nuts. <laughs> I redeemed these nuts. 
He shall. We get Moxley and Claudio jumping. Orange Cassidy, of course, as one would expect after young Wheeler Utah lost. I miss Regal in this. Uh, the <laughs> best friends come down to make the save, but are overwhelmed here. So the Lucha Brothers come dancing down to the ring while Mox and Claudio are beating up the best friends. It's trying to even the odds a little bit. Mox and Claudio get out chairs, but here comes Eddie Kingston partner back from his G1 run where he had the time of his life and he owes it all to them. Uh, but he charges the Could ring. Can you and imagine if he listened, if he lift, lift Claudio up in, in the, the and then just drops him? <laughs> you think he's going to spin him and then he just whoop. Blackpool Combat Club runs and Eddie Kingston grabs the mic and announces that they are going to challenge them to a stadium stampede match and the Blackpool Combat Club will have to find anybody that they can and later we get an update clarifying that this is the best friends and the Lucha Brothers versus Claudio Moxley Wheeler and three unnamed partners. Now Let's fly into speculating wildly. And I will let you know that in New Japan world, there is a lot of talent that is coming to the Rev Pro show. The same weekend we saw uh, the Blackpool Combat Club in Japan taking on this Okada uh, Tanahashi stable with Ishii. Uh, Eddie and Ishii obviously having like a storied history over there. There are some Brits, namely one of my favorite ones, uh, that are not on this card that could slide into that role really nicely, especially with Danielson being out, him grabbing another Tekker to throw in there, I think could be like a fun moment if you want to fly Danielson over there. There is Proud and Powerful that are looking to make their return. There are other people in New Japan that have issues with the Moxley and with Eddie Kingston. There are plenty of directions this could go. There's also Butcher and Blade kicking around that has problems with the Lucia brothers. There are so many people they could throw into this role. There are people that we aren't even thinking of. Goldberg's out there for all we know. Whew. I'll throw it to Asian Joe first. Do you care to speculate wildly on any of the names or any of the ones that uh, I, I didn't mention? You threw a lot out there. Um, I guess the safe option would be, I don't know, what, what's House of Black doing? Uh, House of Black they looks like they uh, they have a couple of things going on. It looks like they might be setting up some issues with Andrade and um, LFO. LFO, as we uh, affectionately call them on, on this show. It also feels like they might not necessarily be done with the acclaimed after tonight because we do get a squash later. Um, but, yeah. What do you got, Ryan? Oh, I was waiting for you. I was, I was, I was, I thought you had to. I was trying to still think, so go for it. All right, I'll let you think then. Um, question for you, and it's, it's, this isn't, this, this is, we're doing wild speculation. Yes. I know Danielson's arm was really messed up. I'm not saying he's back cleared to wrestle in a normal match. Could you hide him in a stadium stampede? You absolutely could hide him in a stadium stampede. And I'll tell you what, a lot of people, when I put this online, through maybe this is where you do have Nigel McGuinness come back. Fightful Select had reported that Nigel McGuinness was sniffing around the possibility of an in-ring return. And my initial thoughts were, you don't want a guy with hepatitis maybe being near this kind of thing. But at the same time, we've seen Stadium Stampede be so many things. You could have him in some really protected spots 
doing this, which could be a fun way to, to have them pop in. Um, a lot of possibilities with this because there's a lot of storyline possibilities that could come out of this, but they could also just pick a bunch of guys that people want to see and people would be happy, you know? Yeah, I'm trying to. So uh, my thought is, again, Danielson, broken arm, really can't wrestle, wrestle, but you you have him do a couple, like, big spots where he could hurt somebody with a, with a weapon or something like that, and then he gets taken out or he's whatever. And it's just a fun moment. People would love it because you'd, you'd get the pop of him there. Nigel McGinnis. I didn't realize Nigel McGinnis had hepatitis. That's a new one to me. Um, That's It's sad because he retired very young because of that. That was like... He had a career that got cut really, really short because of hepatitis which, of all things being the thing. Which ones does he have? Which one does he have? C. Okay, I'm just curious. I think it I mean, like but... it lays dormant, but it never goes it away, kind of thing. Yeah. Um. Well, that I mean, like you said, because truthfully, you might actually be actually be in less risk of, of him bleeding in a stadium. Hep B, stampeding. sorry. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you might be less risk of him bleeding in a stadium stampede than you would a normal match. Cause you can kind of control the environment a lot more. Like we're only going to do these spots with you. And these are your spots that you're, you're going to do. Um, but, and plus might be the easiest way to get him back. If you're going to do a, do a couple things. things that way he doesn't, uh, you know, uh, have to go out and show out after all this time, just by himself in the ring with someone like it'd be a, Again, a way to shield him, but then you're. I think it's either him or Danielson. I don't think you get both because then you're trying to shield two people in the match a little bit. I think that's a lot to try. I mean, Danielson to a much greater extent. Sure. I mean, Zach Saber, Zach Saber Jr. makes a lot of sense. It feels like an omission to not have him on the card, but it also feels like this is an AW show, not a New Japan show. But I feel like because Osprey's there, it kind of feels weird that he doesn't. Now, the silhouette of who they have looks a whole lot like Ishii, Tanahashi, and Okada. Um, so, unless that's supposed to be a fun red herring or it's just vague whatever, it, it very much looks like uh, it looks like those three guys to me. Um, Ishii has a very distinct looking silhouette. I'll <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> but what LT photo saying that uh, Zack Sabre Jr. should be on everything. I agree uh, with with that pretty much across the board. But it, it does feel, I don't, I don't know, to have like, it feels like there's two Brit superstars right now in New Japan world that are both going to be working Rev Pro that weekend. So um, kind of feels like he should sneak onto the card. But we also still have Rampage and Collision to go. Some people were saying this too, Daniel Garcia. Maybe that's his initiation into the Blackpool Combat Club. It's kind of a fun way to go, too. Like, he's left the Jericho Appreciation Society. He's not listed on the card. This is one of the more interesting things to me being set up because there's so many directions that they could go, and all of them make sense to me. Like, there's so many that I'm like, damn, what is it? Uh, so we will see. But some good stuff there. Let's keep going because we've got a lot of card to get through. But we get... A sit-down with JR and Kenny Omega. Uh, the interview taking place at Daly's Place where Kenny Omega acknowledges he won his first title. Talks about wanting to move on from Callis, and we get some nice footage of him and tiny baby Takeshita. Oh, my goodness. 
from DDT. This must have been decades ago. These guys are so young in this. But they cut to footage of Adam Page, uh, who is just happens to be outside of a hospital in Jacksonville. <laughs> Page <laughs> announces that he and Kota Ibushi and Omega will take on Robinson, Jay White, and Takeshita at Wembley. Page is then chastised by security for drinking a beer outside of the hospital. This is a whole bunch of fun. We'll get into the Takeshita and Osprey stuff that, that follows this shortly, but uh, I was really relieved that this happened because it felt very weird to me that Jay White was not on the Forbidden Door card, and I was like, if you don't get him on the card at Wembley and or All Out, because we don't know what All Out is going to look like, like you've swung and missed with him coming in here because he's feeling like one of the most important parts of collision right now, in my opinion. Um, I'm also in on cardboard Jay White. I think he's great. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing them in a match together. If Yoshinko can do it, so can cardboard Jay White. But Joe, let's start with you. What are your thoughts on this segment and what we got set up here? I feel like a lot of people are complaining about multi-man matches, but I also feel like they did that with Forbidden Door and it ended up being show of the year at Forbidden Door 1. What did you think? Yeah, I don't have a problem with it being multi-man because, you know, you don't need Jay White and, Tana, and Tanahashi and, and Tanahashi, Tateshka and um, Kenny, all them always, you know, doing single matches and, and busting their butts and wearing them out faster when you have another pay-per-view at the end of the week. Um, so I don't mind that. And I, I there's a lot of, you know, obviously a lot of history with the Bullet Club stuff going on. Don Callis has his hands on all these things because he's had you know, relationships with both Club Gold and um, and Kenny and Tateska. So um, I think it all inter- interweaves nicely for me. I agree. Yeah, I, I'm not, um, I don't think it's a disservice to have all of these guys on the card in multi-man matches for a few reasons. One, they sold like 70,000 tickets before they had anything announced or built. There are a lot of people that are going to this event live that just want to see AEW wrestling. And I think it makes sense to get as many people on the card as you can in those situations. Like a lot of people assumed you were going to get Osprey and Kenny three happening here, but two companies have to participate in that. And I wouldn't be surprised if new Japan was like, Hey, that feud that we started with our title in it, I kind of want to do that at wrestle kingdom again. Wouldn't surprise me if, if that was the case here. Um, but all of these guys have been working in stables the whole time anyway. This is not a random assortment of multi-man match guys. These are friends that have been friends for a really long time on both sides. Ryan, what did you think? I think Jim Ross just standing aside looking like, what the hell? Like, not even giving a reaction. Really, just being like, all right, whatever. Like, that was just great. Um, Beatdown is what it is. The, the, the six man's going to rule. I don't care what I'm like. Angman and Kenny, I don't, it's not that I say I think people forget, but I, I think we've it's been long enough away that we we do kind of forget how good Hangman and Kenny were as a tag team. Yes, they were legitimately awesome. Um, and then you you know, Coda and it's gonna be it's gonna be a great match. I saw on Twitter somewhere again. I hate to, I feel bad because I would like to quote who I saw it from, but I can't remember because it's just passing. But they compared all in to a WrestleMania where you're trying to get as many of the wrestlers on this card as possible. And I agree. And that's not a bad thing. You have all out right after for if you want to do some story heavy things. But get, no one's going to complain. None of the live crowd, at least, is going to complain that they're seeing all their favorite wrestlers on their in the ring wrestling and going to have awesome matches with actual storylines. Like The storylines do make sense. They aren't just throwing like 
the six men in this match kind of make sense. Kind of like the three on Kenny's side do. The other side doesn't, but kind of does because Don Callis is the kind of guy who just go out and find people. And Jay White had issues with Kenny. So, like, there is some like overlap there. But the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Like, it's a very yeah, simple thing. No, yeah. So, like, it's to me, it's one of those things where, yeah, get as many guys on the car as you can. How many opportunities are these wrestlers going to have to be in front of 80,000 people? You don't know. Yeah, so, my, my bigger frustration with the frustrations about it is I get it with Forbidden Door 1 because they were so snake bitten by in, by injuries and you had two different promotions trying to make stories match up. This is a lot of multi-man matches, but these are stories that have been brewing weeks, months, or in some cases fucking years. Like I, I There seems to be like this confusion to me that I, I see pop up a lot with AEW where people think like, if you haven't announced a match, that means you haven't been building toward it. And I'm like, Takeshita turned and joined Don Callis in fucking May. Like, this has been building for weeks and months. So I get it more with Forbidden Door because it felt like a collection of all-stars. But this, I'm like, yes, there's a lot of multi-band matches, but this is a very stable, heavy environment. Like, these are not out-of-the-blue ones. So I don't yeah, know. Nah. Yeah, I'm with you. And you also can't complain that pay-per-views are too long and then complain when we get multi-man matches because the other option is to put them in singles matches and then what the pay-per-views nine more hours so we can't do that yeah i mean and again this is a i hate i I think we need to point out to people this is a spectacle pay-per-view this isn't your traditional like if this were just all out i would be a little bit more upset because they're not i mean again there's stories so i don't have issues with the stories but thinking like there's probably a better way to do something here or there this is a spectacle pay-per-view. They want to have as much on there and as many faces. And especially for the first time they do an arena, like they're not arena, a stadium. Like a this stadium, is their yeah. first stadium show. And it's the biggest ever. Like it's going to be, a spe- they want, and they want the British fans to see everyone. They don't normally get to see that part. Speaking of that, we get Takeshita and Will Ospreay in this match or uh, coming in to, to make the save. We have uh, Jericho and Don Callis in this segment that I felt like was probably written by Alex Pulaski on my Tuesday show because Callis is coming out making some great points about Chris Jericho in this. I love it. Um, Calling him an egomaniac and all these things. He says he was stunned that Jericho even entertained the offer, which is part of why he put it out in the first place, which that I really liked. I liked Don Callis' justification for this. Um, we also see artwork from our friend Mel Coleman on the show, which was exciting. We have a picture of Jericho uh, with Jericho, or I'm sorry, a picture of Don Kells holding Jericho's head in hand, uh, which gets smashed over his head and he runs off with it. Jericho's got the bat. Everything's falling apart. And here come Takeshita and Will Ospreay making the save. Uh, Osprey hits Jericho with a hidden blade. And for the first time, maybe ever, Sammy gets authentic babyface chance running down the ramp here. If you didn't think Will Ospreay was the best wrestler in the world, this guy got a good match out of Kenta, an authentic babyface chance for Sammy Quivar drawn within like a month of itself. That is some impressive work. And also carried Naito, who was lights out on his feet through the ending sequence of their match. Osprey wrestler of the year, in my opinion. This was a whole bunch of fun to me. I have no problem with the way this got set up. 
I think it makes much more sense uh, than people are maybe giving it credit for. Uh, what were your thoughts here? Joe, you can go first. Sure. Um, first of all, how dare Don besmirch the artwork of, of Mel? Thank you. Yeah. It was her fault for messing it up. Um, that was one of my takeaways. But uh, I, I liked the fact that I feel like most of us probably felt like Jericho wasn't going to join the Callus family, especially after the last week or so. And the way they kind of did that with him, you know, joining at first and then backtracking, um, I thought that was a little fun um, to make it a little bit less predictable. And uh, my other takeaway was the Sammy chance. And I mean, he just married booze, announces a baby, nothing. But he runs in to save Jericho against Osprey. Yeah, he, the crowd eats it up. So it's, crazy, I tell you. Oh man, I was not expecting that. Yeah, I think this. Listen, I'm not going to argue Osprey's talent in the ring and all that. I think you're giving credit to the wrong man on the Sammy uh, cheers, though. That is clearly the callous effect. Fair enough. That Fair that, enough. that 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 is Sammy coming in to save Chris. Because I mean, Jericho, like, look at the turn that Jericho just made. And again, I think this is. I love Jericho, so I wouldn't insult him, but this is the Callus effect. Jericho joined Don Callis. He was being a dick. And then because Don Callis betrayed him within a minute, it was like, oh no, we love Jericho again. Save him. Like that, the, the Don Callis is so good right now at getting people hated. And I kind of love the logic here because of all the people that would save Jericho, it would be Sammy. Because 100%. he he is the one who was loyal to, to Jericho the longest and owes the most to him. I wonder if this means you get a Sammy Osprey match before all, uh, I know we don't have long, but I guess like next week, which would be a Rampage great match, or collision. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's Sammy have his, his moment to shine. Um, but this was, this is perfect. I do like that. They saw what Callus is doing right now and said, okay, we have to run with this. You can't have a guy get this reaction and not go with it. By the way, we forgot to mention, and, and I, I apologize. I, sh I, I wanted to bring it up. Did, did Kenny Omega accuse Don Callis of drugging him as a child, of giving him steroids? Did he? I missed it. I, he did. He's like, he would, he would have me take my vitamins. So he'd come and give me all these supplements. That I didn't know what they were. They were being vials and whatnot. And he'd say, this is how you get, you know, this is how you, 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 what you have to take. And That's fucking and awesome would, if he did. I swear, I'm not the only one who thinks that. I swear that. Yep, Jesse Ozak, he did. Oh, that's Anyone awesome! Making... I can't believe I missed that. My bad. Yeah. So this is this is perfect. This is and listen. I know people are like Jared. I am one of the ones who wanted Omega Osprey three. I get it. That being said, there's two reasons I'm okay with this. One, I get it if they're the ones being like that's a lot of pressure to try to make an, at Wembley top what we've done twice when they have been both the same year both match of the year contenders like that's that is so much pressure you are you are giving yourself a big chance of disappointment just by odds and two take yourself out of the american aew fan and again go to the bridge they haven't seen Jer like just Jer jericho first time in england in aew it is a thing for them he is he was the star of the company for a long time he's one of Osprey. the name value he's probably the most iconic name value other than like the stings of the world yeah. that we're going to talk about shortly um 
that they have. And the idea that he wouldn't be on this card is is silly. So people need to calm down about it. He has the, the most name recognition and he was their first champion. So and your and your homegrown boy, Osprey, is likely to get the win. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But you never know because it's Jericho, so we'll see. But mm-hmm. <laughs> moving along, we have Darby Allen and Nick Wayne defeating the Gates of Agony here. Uh, this went exactly as you would expect <laughs> from beginning to end. Wayne hitting uh, Tangalo. I, I can never say his name. Tangaloa on the floor. I always want to say Taya Leone. Just like a brain thing that happened. But uh, hits it with a moonsault, and Darby Allen hits Khan with a coffin drop for the pinfall. And then after the match, Mogul affiliates around the ring. But someone arrives. Do you know who it is, Ryan? I don't do it as well. Can you tell me who it is? It's Sting! Who, as the face, has kidnapped Prince Nana. Nana. Well, this is this is Joker's thing. This is Joker's thing, yes. Uh, Scaring Nana off, saying, Nana, come back. I need someone to talk to. This is a whole mess of fun. I'm all for this. Um, This was great. And it was nice to see Nick Wayne in in action. I love the story that's being built out. I love Nick Wayne being at the the focal point of it as a catalyst to to move this Darby Allen and swerve stuff along, especially. Uh, Ryan, what did you think? This is I love the match. I was I was go with it. This is one of those times though, like in wrestling, where I do have to suspend my disbelief a little bit because you're looking at one side of the ring and it's Tay Leone and uh, Khan, <laughs> and on the other side of the ring it's Darby Allen and and Nick Wayne. And I'm pretty sure Darby Allen and Nick Wayne together don't weigh as much as one of the other two guys. <laughs> and these other two guys aren't like the slow plotting big men where you're like, well, they can't. These are the two big guys who can move. And Again. Darby Allen and Nick Wayne are also not the guys who are taking you out at the knees either. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're also not the the Danielsons of the world that can make that really believable. Yeah, like Danielson is basically, and I don't the, like the uh, the Gracies when you go into like jujitsu. Like yes. they're so good technically yeah. that they Darby Allen and well, I don't know about Nick Wayne as much yet, but Darby Allen is basically just like oh he's psycho. Um, but I have no problem suspending my disbelief ever so i did uh the joker's thing is great i wasn't watching tna when he was doing it but i've watched enough back stuff to be like oh okay i love that he had a run as this because it was probably the only highlight of tna at that point and let him get his career highlights in before he rides off and takes the waves again joe what did you think of this I really the match was what it was. It's just my only note for is I was just happy to see Joker staying back. And it's the great way of using, you know, a legend, unlike using legends in other ways that come later on in the show. But having him do, you know, the character work and things like that, it's just it's just fun. And it's a nice little callback and it's just a good way to to let Sting finish out his career, like Ryan said. Um, yes, I feel like Sting has been one of the most perfectly integrated legends brought back into wrestling under this AEW reign. Like, this has been just, like, the perfect amount of, um, in-ring, but also, other than some scary spots. But, like, from a character perspective, he's been so good on the 
I'm guiding Darby Allen and then I'm sending Darby out on his own, but I'm also in his corner, but let him function independently. Like it's, it's really, really impressive how tastefully he's been used and, and not oversaturated you with like all this comeback stuff. Um, and a better note for his career to end on, not to sound anti-WWE at all, but that was just not a good way to have him go out. So I'm really glad that he gets this run. And I'm also very glad we get Adam Cole at MJF in this angle. I never want it to end, but I feel like someone's turning heel at Wembley after all this. But we get MJF and Adam Cole getting uh, ready for Aussie Open, and they're trying to think of how you would counter the Aussies. And what better way to do that than to go to Outback Steakhouse and to watch Crocodile Dundee 1 and 2, MJF finding videos of kangaroos fighting uh, and deciding that in addition to or an alternative to the club double clothesline, they should have the kangaroo kick. <laughs> Just the best. <laughs> double clothesline and inflatable crocodile here. We get an annoyed Tony Khan calling them into their office to yell at them. Adam Cole and Max uh, head to the arena finally. MJF is headed to the bathroom. And Cole heads to the ring and Roddy Strong shows up complaining after Cole and MJF leave. Strong hurt himself kicking MJF's car. I am obsessed with Roddy Strong and like these injuries and him wearing the neck brace that he was wearing at NXT all the way over here. I am so in on this. Then we get to the promos here after that video, which is so much fun. MJF getting a kangaroo kick from all of this. I like Adam Cole coming and really sincerely talking about his concussion nine months ago. He didn't know if he was going to be able to wrestle ever again, but here he is main eventing the biggest show in wrestling history. They did not count WCW in North Korea either. So count it for me as well. Um, and MJF talking about the first all in and calling Cody Rhodes and getting a shot. And even though he lost on it, Tony kind signs him off of this. This is just a really good, sincere recap of where they have been on their individual journeys coming to this point. And then we get Aussie open attacking Adam Cole and MJF, but they get the upper hand and wouldn't you know it, Mark Davis is able to avoid the double clothesline, but he does not have the kangaroo kick scouted and having Kyle Fletcher go down. This was a whole mess of fun. I'm obsessed with this angle. Uh, we'll go to Ryan first. What were your thoughts here? This is just ridiculous, and I absolutely love it. I am so in on this, as is everyone, clearly. The best part is there's enough real here to balance out the comedy, and that's how you do comedy in wrestling, to have the real and the comedy. Uh, because like when they went, they did their promos, those were real feelings. I had a concussion, thought I was done. I was made at all in originally and wouldn't be here if I didn't get that. Like These things are real. Um, they're... They're going to Outback and <laughs> the, the hunting down the the, uh, the Australian and, and the Tony Khan's whole thing. Like all of that is perfect. There is, there is a way where Adam Cole betrays MJF and MJF snaps and becomes even worse. And I love that idea because it's very, I don't know how MJF as the baby face who got tricked works. But MJF as the guy who finally opened his heart and gets betrayed, that is a fun story because he will never trust again. And he was a dick before. Who knows what he'll be now. 
but you also couldn't blame Adam Cole because who would trust MJF? So this 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 whole thing is fun. I I love every part of it. Whoever thought of this, kudos to you. If it was Tony Khan, if it was MJF, if it was if it was uh, Adam Cole. You're this is just really well done, and and it's very funny. But now I want to know if Asian Joe was in fact once accosted by a young kangaroo. It's true because everything I put in my on camera here is true. Um, I have worked for print. I've worked in print journalism. And one, one of my assignments was to go to a local elementary school to cover some like wildlife encounter type visits for the elementary class. And they held it in the gym. They brought a crocodile, they brought a snake, all those good things. They also held a little kangaroo. And as I was standing on the side, taking photos, you know, trying to get all the kids and the kangaroo and all stuff, the kangaroo and I made eye contact and it kept hopping and hopping and hopping and hopping enough to like make myself feel uncomfortable so luckily nothing physical happened but i was really hoping this story ended with uh, a little kangaroo kicking I, you i was just no. gonna say i was hoping we I, got a kangaroo kicking i moved i i was you know squatted down on my knee taking a photo and knowing that we were the same height at that level i thought it would be best to stand up and and relocate I think so, that was a wise call. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't ready for the kangaroo kick. No, well, you didn't watch Crocodile Dundee 1 and 2 and go to Outback, so. Nope. But I love myself a blooming onion. I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> um, other, just other thoughts I had on this little, on the segment was just, um, one, MJF should have probably chosen a more fuel efficient vehicle if he was driving around on the Indy thing instead of a truck. Um, Two, all I could think about when he kept saying kangaroo kick was I I had the kangaroo song playing in my head. Kangaroo song. Yeah. Kangaroo song. Good daddy. Uh, I thought the, the TK portion in the back was fun because that might have been the most authority he's ever shown backstage to wrestlers. Yeah, the backstage brawl kind of thing. Yeah. yeah okay. He yelled at them. He brought them in the office and yelled. Um, and then I think to the storyline, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious how it plays out, like, because with the kingdom and Riley involved, I'm curious to see who, who's working with the kingdom, whether I feel like it's either going to be Adam Cole or maybe it's MGF working with the kingdom and they turn on Roddy and Adam. So I, I mean, the options are kind of endless. So I'm looking forward to how that all shakes out. I don't know how far along Kyle O'Reilly is, but every week I, miss that dude more and more like with this angle i just um i i've loved kyle o'reilly for a really long time and when he was kind of just getting going is when this happened and i was it, it breaks my heart because i think people are really starting to remember how good this guy is but that's my dream is that he's well enough to to come back in this spot but we will move backstage with the wonderful beautiful lovely goddess among women Renee Paquette, who's interviewing bloodied up Chris Jericho. Jericho and Osprey. Uh, or I'm sorry, Jericho says that Jericho and Osprey would have happened in the Tokyo Dome in 2021, if not for the pandemic, but it will take a lot more than a pandemic to keep Jericho away from Osprey at all. And uh, this is just a, a nice way to 
kind of, I think, make official what we knew they were setting up here, which is great. And I also think this was really cool because by coincidence today, I decided I was like, I want to start posting pictures of stuff that I like in wrestling, just like moments and things. And I had posted, um, Osprey had some really cool Hayabusa gear that he wore in 2016. And um, he felt really weird about it. And he took her daughter, his daughter out um, to lunch to ask for permission from it. And he had kind of put in a note that like, Jericho was the one that encouraged him to do it because he was like, I can't do that. I can't wear Hayabusa's gear. <laughs> like, so one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. I can't pay tribute to him. Like, that's way too personal. And Jericho pushed him to do it. Um, and you forget, like, with all the Kenny and Jericho stuff, like, well, Osprey's been kicking around there for a while, too. Like, these two have history. Um, I really, I really like that Jericho called back to 2021 and made you remember like oh yeah like both of these guys were actually in new japan <laughs> at overlapping times well before this view got set up so refreshing to see there any thoughts on this we'll start with joe this quick little backstage no i'm i'm, I'm glad they set up what was all kind of being speculated so i'm looking forward to it ryan no, I mean, this just kind of follows up on what we talked about earlier. I think this is going to be a lot of fun, and Jericho did a good job of selling it and adding history as to why Osprey would even care, and the, the, it, it provided something for this match. Agreed. Agreed. I was kind of hoping you guys would have more to weigh in on, because boy, oh boy, do I not give a fuck about what happened next. But I did feel vindicated in a way, because pretty much vindicated. everyone thought this was trash wall-to-wall. Do you want me to uh, talk he, about that? Because I didn't. It's Jeff Jarrett defeating Jeff Hardy in a Texas Chainsaw Death match. Holy shit, this was bad. Hardy hits a swan bomb through the table. Jay Lethal makes the same here. Paige and Matt Hardy go for their finishers, but were taken out by low blows from Sanjay Dutt and Karen Jarrett, respectively. Then Leatherface comes out to the sounds of chainsaws. And chases Karen and Jared away. Weren't Leatherface and Jared on the same side? It's all very confusing to me. And bad. Back in the ring, Satan appears and choke slams Jeff Hardy, who can't bump anymore, and Jared and puts Jared on top of him for the win. Jared is celebrating with Leatherface because fuck his wife, I guess. Uh, and Taz on commentary weighs in and says, Well, that was something. And that is about how I felt about this match. This was horse shit. These guys are not going to be on the all-in card. I, Jeff Hardy can't be. Um, so I think this was a way to like do something going into it that was supposed to do something for someone. I ain't that person. Holy fuck, was this bad even for what I thought was going to be bad? <laughs> Ryan, we'll start with you since you're so eager to talk about it. I don't know what you hated. It was all of it. Exciting, engaging. When? when? Start to finish. I mean, you have Jeff Hardy walking around being like, Where where is he? Where is Double J? And he sees these weird things on the wall that kind of look like Texas Chainsaw. And he goes into weird lighting. Listen, the match sucked. There's a couple highlights. Uh Ethan Page came out looking, I think, pretty good in this, which I'm always a big fan of. Uh, Brothers A. Program. 
when Brothers Day when he uh, took a picture, like got in front of the camera when they had blood on them. That was pretty funny. Uh, Leatherface made no sense, but then again, he wouldn't. He's he's just a crazy man. Uh, I did see someone online say that J- Jeff Jarrett has beaten Jeff Hardy in WWE, AEW, and TNA. So that's pretty funny. Um, I, listen, at the end of the day. It's a sponsored match. It's the same thing as when WWE did that weird Mountain Dew blackout thing. I don't like them. I'm glad they didn't do this on a pay-per-view, unlike certain companies. Hallelujah. Uh, and I'm glad they didn't put in people I actually, like, put in a few that I actually care about. Like, at least this was just, these are the throwaway people. Because uh, this match was just fucking insane. I, I, Here's an idea. The- Throw them the fuck away, then. Listen, we know you secretly love Jeff Jarrett. And you're Isn't that, what do you think it. of this? Why is your camera bouncing up and down? Because my stool moved. Joe, your thoughts? It was a very long bathroom break for those who had to go to the bathroom. Um, I don't know. First of all, I don't know was why the bathroom break? Yeah, why is this shit? I feel like this feud had been going on way longer than it probably actually has. Um. The only highlight, like Brian said, was, you know, I'm glad Ethan got Ethan Page on TV, even though he feels lost in the shuffle. Um, and they have to find a way to do these sponsored matches in a different, like, just sponsor a main event or do something else. Like, don't have to build a gimmick around. Um, Clearly, the sponsors don't want that, though. Like, it, and I'm, this is me taking WWE as an example. Right. Like, you now have two different companies with two different brands doing insane matches. And my thought is the sponsors must say, we don't just want our name. We want something that people will know, like really know it was us and talk about. And for better or worse, people were fucking talking about this. Especially for worse. I just, Especially for worse. And the leather face. Like, I, I know you got you to throw a leather face out there at the end. I'm like, it looks like, hey, backstage producer, throw on this mask and run around with a chainsaw and, Maybe it, I mean, that wasn't scary at all. It looked weird to me. Joe, did it make you think of uh, Chainsaw Charlie from Attitude Era WWF? <laughs> no, don't, how dare you? <laughs> Chainsaw Charlie's a fucking legend. No, he's not. Chainsaw Charlie, a legend. The man who played Chainsaw Charlie is a fucking legend, but Chainsaw Charlie himself, no. No, I, I Chainsaw just seems like Funk. <laughs> Ch- Terry, just... Ch- Chain Terry. Shut up. Chainsaw Charlie rules. Dr. Britt Baker, DMT, taking on the bunny with Penelope Ford. Britt Baker wearing her uh, all-in ring jacket, which I really liked. That was a a really nice touch. Uh, This goes the way you would expect it to, but very nice to see Bunny back being her crazy little self. She's such a refreshing breath of fresh air because she's just very different than a lot of people in AEW, and she... Plays a similar role to me as Carmella in WWE, where it's like they don't get enough credit for how good they are at all these other things that nobody else really is great at um, in their respective divisions. But Britt getting the super kick and a stomp for the pinfall here. Penelope Ford playing interference a little bit here. Went the way you thought it would go, but I like what this is setting up. I'm very happy to see Bunny back on television. Um, Not in the main event slot, but you can't win them all. We had three in a row. I'll take it. Good stuff here. This is going the way that we thought it would, but in this case, that's a really good thing, right? Like, 
these are the four women that should be in the women's title match at Wembley, in my opinion. Uh, we'll go to Joe first. What were your thoughts on this ladies' match? It was really it was good to see Maya back because she does add th- something to the division. Um, as we kind of talked about earlier with Britt, I felt like the match was, uh, no, like an okay match. It just feels like Britt is still. It felt it felt kind of like a mid card match for her, where hopefully now that she'll go to Wembley and and it'll feel like main event Britt again. Um. So I think both were that was, that was my takeaway. It just it just didn't feel like this, the the type of Brit match we have come to expect from her in the past. And the last few outings of her haven't felt that way. Yeah, I, I really feel like because so much of her face turn was predicated on Jamie and the day one stuff, she's she's been a little lost in the shuffle, but because she's one of the top women in a otherwise like not top heavy division, I guess you could say. Um it it's kind of tough. Like it, it doesn't feel like she's a face for a specific reason right now, which is a tough way to be. But uh, Ryan, what were your thoughts on this? Here comes the bunny, 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 bunny. bunny. Sorry. Uh, I listen. I, I had to. The whole thing is we knew who was going to win again, but like you, I was very excited to see the bunny back. She is the the mid-level heel that this company need like you need to have that mid-level female heel and i felt like they were missing it for a little while uh while they built up all these other stars and things are starting to lay out a little bit better but still it's great to see her back and i'm glad penelope ford was with her i kind of dug them together i think they added another level to the uh butcher and blade team uh with kip i think that adds like a faction together that i really enjoy so no this was this it was a good match and especially for Bunny's first back match back in a while. Uh, and I'm, I'm just excited that things in the women's division seem to finally be sorting themselves out. It does feel that way. Let's just hope they keep their foot on the gas about it this time because we have had logical story building. We have had a good rotation of talent on screen as well. A lot of fresh and new faces, and in this case, a returning one. So some good stuff back in the picture. Uh, not everyone loves the acclaimed, it turns out, fellers. The acclaim versus two enhancement talents that never even happened. You get the acclaim getting laid out by Brody King, who presents Billy Gunn's boots to Malachi Black. Uh, this is interesting because we have the trio's champions on one side. And maybe what's a little bit more lost of a tag team without their precious daddy S and the acclaims on the other side of this. Feels like they kind of just snuck this in here before we get to our main event of the Young Bucks and the Gun Club. Main event Gun Club always feels a little weird to me, but an interesting story turn to happen here. Ryan, what were your thoughts on this quick little squash that we got? I'm more just interested in where they're going. And it leads you to believe that clearly something's still going going on with Billy Gunn. You don't play into a guy this heavily without him. Usually when like a guy is done, he's done. But his boots are still there. Like you don't usually do like that. I mean, maybe you are they are, and then that's genius. I've never seen that done before, but no, you're me. right, and that like the AEW Twitter would have tweeted something if he was really done or whatever, right? Yeah. Like it, it would have been like, "Hey, Billy Gunn's retired now. Here's 
video packages and like all that. There would have been ceremony around it if he was really he, done. He, he's done enough. He deserves his flowers when it's time for him to. Sure. To, to They'd be on. trying so to do a DX reunion on WWE tomorrow if that was the case. Yeah. 1000%. <laughs> so this definitely, and you would have seen it from like X-Pac or Sean or someone over on WWE site tweeting out like, hey, great career, wonderful time. Like none of them have tweeted about it. So clearly this is, he's still involved in the story. What he's doing, I have no idea. I still th think he should come back as Mr. Buttocks um, and really put people in their place. But no, this, is, this is great. This, this is, I like that it seems like the acclaimed. I know they, Billy Gunn is not my favorite third for the acclaim in the sense of match wise. I think he's great with them and he took them to another level. Match wise, he's not my favorite third, but I love the story as in, as a whole. And I love that the, uh, the House of Black has a story, so I'm I'm sold on this. Joseph, I have one lingering thought, concern, query. I don't know. Um, <sighs> House of Black. First of all, they stole Andrade's mask for a while, and then no, they had that going. Now they're stealing Daddy Acid boots. So either they're kleptos or they're trying to build their own wrestler. Why I'm can't trying to figure both? out. Could be. It could be like a build-a-figure where they just take go. different parts and it's not a, new, exclusive. a new member of the house. But uh, that's what I thought I had. They like to just take random things of people. Agreed. And there's also nothing like that keeps like the boots makes more sense. Andrade's mask. I was like, couldn't they just take it back? Like whenever they're taunting him with it, it was like just reach out and grab it. But I mean, my thing is even after he got it back, steal it. I think after what we'll talk about in news and notes, Jungle Boy should or Jack Perry should be calling himself the Glass Man. But we glass man. move along to our main event of the Young Bucks versus the Gun Club, who were clunky in the first half of this match, but they they settled in and turned this around. Um, we get Nick reversing a roll-up and Matt helping his brother hold down Austin for the three. FCR emerges at the end of this. Looks like they're setting the Bucks up for the Shatter Machine, but when the Bucks turn around, FCR just pick up their belts instead. I like that. I like that show of respect because this is a best tag team in the world build, right? This is what this feud is for. It's the third one of the trilogy. Um, very much looking forward to this match and Intrigued by the repercussions of what might come out of it, but the, the guns are fine, I guess. Like the, the first half of this was not good. The second half of it, once it, it clicked in, got much, much better. Austin, especially, is just better than Colton. Um, he, he's really come a long way. Giving him his due. Hysterical uh, Twitter happenstance where they tweeted, insert many men here. Uh, referring to their theme, but it sounded like they were um, looking for maybe some male prostitutes or something when you go around saying insert many men here. Funny stuff that was actually sincerely an accident, though it feels like their character. This is good. This is a perfectly suitable way to get to FDR in the box, right? There's issues with the gun club and FDR already in play here. Um Ryan, we'll start with you since you love the gun club so much. Do you also want to insert many men? All the time. Uh, this 
this was a fun match. I mean, they've like you said, the Gun Club has really improved. I, I think it's they fit in better now with the the Bang Bang Gang as like the lackeys, and I think that's a better spot for them. I will always agree. They probably weren't weren't the people that should have the belts when they had the belts, and that's what really hurt them is that they got pushed up real quick. They needed time as lackeys, uh, but they've really improved, and they're a lot of fun. And they were fun. They, this was a good match, and it was it made sense. There's a lot of logic to this match, and then FTR coming out at the end for the save again makes sense because FTR is FTR, and they're those we want to beat you, and we don't like you, and then we don't like these guys, and we want to beat these guys. So let's. It all makes sense. I, I, Listen, I'm I won't lie. This mat everything after the uh Texas Chainsaw Massacre match became kind of blurred together. Yeah, I, I, that's the one downside to uh all those Yeah. It was that a to those types of matches. Your your brain kind of starts to be like, where the hell am I? And that kind of yeah, happened. But I did brain... I do remember regularly enjoying I like that the 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 Bucks were so pissed off about the Kenny thing that they jumped the guns on the ramp. Like that yeah. is that's good shit jumped the guns i see what you did there thank you. What you did there joe what were your thoughts on this i i kind of like this going home this felt like a a good way to to get to where we're going with the bucks and ftr the guns of course should probably be in that conversation as they are former champions probably the greatest uh tag team champions in AEW. i will say having the bucks back in the tag team division they need those guys in the tag team division what they were able to do with the hardys what they were able to do today they're making their case for best tag team in the world. And it, it helps when they're not tied up in trios programs. what do you think of our main today? Yeah. I, I thought the match was good. Like you said, after it got going a little bit, the butts hit all their, their hot, their usual spots. Um, I think the guns have improved by, they've improved by association. So I feel like when they're in a match with the butts, when they're teaming with, you know, when they're hanging out with Jay white and, and juice Robinson, um, that elevates them and improves them. Um, so I, I think that is maybe why we're seeing them look better. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the FCR coming out, helping them, saving them, you know, wanting to fight the butts at hundred percent. So they can truly determine who the best tag team is. Um, that made sense to me. Uh, I wasn't quite sure about the whole how the Bucks won with holding the holding the foot the you no know, holding the what awesome it, down. Uh, yeah, like the the outside interference to help you know the brother out to put a pin. I thought a little bit of a heelish maneuver felt kind of weird in that moment, but it did. And FTR coming out kind of clarifying that their faces in this right by not hitting the shatter machine and picking up their belts. I I liked that as a storytelling seed because they can kind of both be faces. Like it doesn't have to be bad guy, good guy stuff when it's about respect, but uh, good stuff there. Guys, that was AW Dynamite. And we'll go through just a couple of quick news and notes before we get out of here, just because it was a noteworthy week. And I'll tell you why it was a noteworthy week. My God, Ryan Nemeth getting sent home from AEW Collision surface today on FightfulSelect.com that, um, and I think originally reported by Wrestling Observer, but confirmed with a little bit more detail about things um, that Ryan Nemeth was sent home and head of talent relations, Christopher Daniels, was sent home, which seems like a fucking bad thing since he's that's the head the of talent relations. That one's flying under the radar, and that to me is the biggest story of all of them. Yeah, that guy has an executive position and got sent home. 
Um, so that's that's a, a pretty shitty thing to have happen. Um, Ryan Nemeth and Punk had had words previously and had a confrontation months ago, weeks ago, um, that had gotten settled. And then when Ryan Nemeth was supposed to be at TV, Punk allegedly sent him home to try and keep the peace. Uh, he didn't want any drama backstage at Collision, which is interesting coming from a guy who annihilated the company in a press conference and assaulted his co-workers. Uh, so that happened, and the Christopher Daniels one is, was also the more alarming one to me in that sense. That stemmed from some issues uh, in which Matt Hardy was also sent home. Sounds like the writing's on the wall. I don't think it was ever confirmed when, but let's not forget that Ethan Page had a championship match against MJF in Hamilton, Ontario. Um, and that, I think Hamilton's in Ontario. It's Canada. It's all one place as far as I'm concerned. And Matt Hardy wasn't a storyline with him at the time. So it, it kind of feels like that was probably when that happened. Uh, there was also an issue reported that Heyman Page was supposed to cut a promo on Collision, but wasn't allowed in the building or something for which CM Punk said there was confusion and texted him to apologize. So it sounded like that might've been a little bit less intentional, which is good. Everybody's saying it's a work. Everybody's saying Punk's a dick. I think if somebody's working, two people need to be involved in the situation and know that because we also had CM Punk after an episode of Collision calling out a hangman sign and calling Hangman Adam Page a peg warmer, which is nerd figure talk for, hey, your action figure is not selling. That feels like a harmless jab, but in the context of everything else, it does not feel like a harmless jab. Um, just getting kind of old in my book, but kind of the most noteworthy thing of the week. Ryan, your thoughts? So... Again, the the Brian Nemeth one is just shitty on Punk's part. Like, dude, he you you record ROH with Collision. He's likely going to be on ROH. That's just shitty. Let the guy come and wrestle. Uh, I get his. I I honestly I honestly get the thought of like I don't like I am trying to be different and not have the drama. So why don't we just keep guys like? But at this point, you can't just avoid him for that time. Like, just you guys talked it out. Christopher Daniels thing is a big issue. More than Hardy, more than anyone. He's your head of talent relations. He should be there. Like he, he, that's not even an option. And that's where Tony Khan's got a weakness. You, you can't let CM Punk tell you who, who can and can't be there. There are obviously like discussions to be had of like, hey, I'm trying to, again, and I'll use Nemeth, even though I think it's wrong, but I'm trying to behave. You know, we don't get along. Can we just avoid that so that there's no, and I could see B Tony Khan being like, okay, that in that case, he's not really like whatever. But Tristan Daniels is at that level. Hardy should have been there. Hardy is a fucking legend. Like, that's inexcusable. Um, I would also say with Ryan Nemeth that part of Punk's thing was that what after their initial confrontation was he was saying that they were trying to move past it. And if you move past it, you should be allowed in the same fucking building, in my opinion. Yeah, but I completely agree. No, I'm, I'm, I don't actually support the Nemeth thing, but I'm just saying as an example, I can say, I can see in a world where Punk says some people can't, shouldn't, shouldn't be around because they can't get along with Tony Khan being like, all right, I'll just try to avoid this and whatever. But if you're going to be the better person, he should be there. Uh, the, again, the, the Tristan Daniel stuff is, is legitimately 
an issue. The hangman thing seems like it was really just miscommunication by all parties. Like, uh, I know Fightful has, and uh, I forget where else kind of reported, like he was never even at the building. Like it was just a venue change. It was like, there there were some like conversations, like it wasn't what they think it was. And to me, it just seems like it's all just a miscommunication. Uh, the, the peg warmer thing after, uh, I will say I was listening to a show on Overbooked in the Weeds starring Joel Pearl and Jeremy What's, Lambert, and what? they had a good point. I, I forget which one of them said it. I think it was Joel, but I hate giving Joel credit. Okay. But I think their point was that Punk is trying to shoot his his way into a work. 100%. And, they're, and they, uh, Joel had a good point. Stop that. Because clearly it's not to hate the – it's not working with the, the elite. They don't think that way. The, you're the old school problems make money and they're the new school. Like, I don't want to work with someone I don't like. Neither is wrong, but you, but clearly you need to get on the stage that they're not playing along with you. So I actually don't mind punk coming out and saying that in the sense of like, everyone seems to know what he's doing. And that was such a harmless line that like, who cares? The jungle boy thing seems to me like it again as far as i could tell fightful didn't wasn't able to confirm jungle boy's version of the story but jungle boy but punk's version is that he was asked to talk to jungle boy and basically say do not use this glass do not use real glass use fake glass what are you thinking which is 100% logical what was jungle boy thinking i mean there's go back in wrestling history goldberg punched it through a through a limo glass and cut his artery could have died like he was out months because of that injury so even moxley uses like tempered glass and plastic when possible yeah or like that sugar the sugar glass kind of stuff yeah it exists for a reason and no one's mad that you're using sugar glass if a fan's mad you're using sugar glass they're an asshole i don't i think the so like he was asked and then when apparently the way i read it is that when jungle boy gave him like was still fighting that he's like well then go to wednesday we don't do that here and I don't think that's a bad line. I actually don't blame Punk on this one. Like, that seems like one where he was trying to be the guy in the locker room, basically saying, like, this is a bad idea. Stop it. Now, the point I saw put out a lot, and Kate, you might have been the one to say it. I don't, I, I, I hate giving you credit, but you know who should have been having that conversation is Christopher fucking Daniels, but you're not letting him in the building. So. Yeah. I actually have the same problem with Punk as I do with the Elite in that I don't think active wrestlers should be holding executive titles. I think it's a bad idea. And whether Punk is officially an executive title or not, Collision's his fucking show. It's very clear that if he's getting people sent home and in a position of authority and leaving meetings, whether he has that title or not, he's being that guy. Um, So I think I, I agree with most of it. And I feel like a lot of these things... As usual, it seems like with Punk, there's like a lot of benign things, but in the context of everything else, just put a magnifying glass on stuff over and over. And it's just frustrating because we're going into all in, right? Like, how is the shit overshadowing everything again? But Joe, what were your thoughts on all of this drama? The more things change, the more they stay the same, right? So uh, there's a lot to unpack with it is odd that punk has so much power on collision whether it's an unofficial 
executive role or he's just deemed the gatekeeper of collision um and, and I, I thought did, did tony khan not go to collision anymore he used to go to all the shows right so i'm like it'd be weird for him to be like to let some a talent decide who's there and who's not um the Christopher Daniels one was the, the, the strangest one due to his title. Um, the rest of the stuff is pretty petty. And the joke with the Hey Man thing that didn't land. Something times just, just why? Like, why why revisit that? Why go back to it? Um, you know, you talk about other wrestlers acting like children. It's like, move on. Uh, you know, you have your own show, your own things to worry about. Uh, so for all the things I love about punk as a performer, as an artist, a wrestler, um, I just, unfortunately, I just think it's inevitable that, you know, he might be gone in a year, two years, maybe less. Like, I, just, I feel like it's just the clock is ticking as more things pop up. It does. This one felt like a little bit, I feel like none of this would have felt like that big of a deal if brawl act didn't happen and we weren't like so new with punk back but the other piece of this is the reason that christopher daniels got sent home is because a steel was kind of told he was going to have this nominal role and he was a part of brawl out and he really hasn't had a nominal role it sounds like um and he's punk was like well if a steel is not back then i don't want christopher daniels here because he was part of breaking up brawl out too so it just feels like as much as things have moved on, they also have not moved on, unfortunately. I just but- want to say one thing, too. that It's something that annoys me about this whole all these stories. And this is not about the, the, the news reporting agencies because they're doing what they're supposed to do. That is their job. They get told something, they report it, and then they ask follow-up questions. I fully support that. I get annoyed. It's just all this seems so petty that, like, some of these stories don't need to be told. Not not Again, not by the news reporting, to the news reporting guys. Like some of the stuff, just like everybody, just what? What are we doing? Like again, the, and I think I'm more specifically talking about the uh, the Jungle Boy one more than anything. Like that just felt like such a non-story to me. In well, terms of, I like, think what? a lot of times that gets that gets put in there to try and break up the news cycle with that stuff, right? Like that's something that casts Punk in a positive light, so they're gonna roll. So out someone comes out to, that them. that's fair. It just all, but it just all feels to me like. One person says something, one real thing comes out about punk, which is the who we sending home. And then people are like, well, all right, now it's my time to just air grievances again. And I just always hate that because it just none of that is fun to read. It also and does again, not happen that way at WWE. So this is all kind of perplexing. Like it's yeah, um, it is an AEW specific problem because you don't hear about this in WWE, Impact, New Japan, MLW, or anywhere else. Like it is um something that they need to address. But all that drama being in the rear view, we did also get the news that Nigel McGuinness could be headed back to the ring. Fightful Select learned that Ring of Honor world champion Nigel McGuinness is taking measures to try and get back. But obviously with hepatitis, that is uh, comes with a lot of considerations. He hasn't been in the ring in over a decade since December of 2011. Um, at his last match was against Stevie Richards in September of 2010 at TNA Explosion. Um, it is interesting knowing what we know about Stadium Stampede tonight, right? Um, because it does feel like there's opportunities to have him involved but be very protected. 
I'm intrigued to kind of see. I will say this in the five seconds of Googling I did when we started talking about this, if all the wrestlers are willing, there is a vaccine for it. So you can take precautions. Again, I still wouldn't have him be actively bleeding or anything, but you can still take the precautions to be like, we feel fairly confident that this is not going to go anywhere. Can you be in a match with the BCC and not bleed? Yeah, well, don't worry, Mox will bleed for two. It'll be fine. He'll be on the Okada side if it's Okada Tana and she. Um, and then one final piece of news before we get out of here. Uh, it sounds like the intended match for Brian Danielson at All In was him and Kenny Omega too, but unfortunately, of course, the broken arm happened against his match against Kazuchika Okada on that flying elbow where he broke his arm. There were also claims that there were other plans for Omega, but Fightful Select did not hear what those were. But it surprised me if that was in the vein of Omega Osprey. Um, but fortunately, did not come to be. I'm looking forward to seeing that when they do try and run it back. It's cool that they were leading toward it. And it made sense considering all of the elite and BCC stuff that we were getting there. So yep. any thoughts on that, fellas? No, it just sucks. It does suck. It does suck. Well, we'll call it there then. That's our show for tonight. We thank everyone for watching. We will uh, ask you and remind you that our uh, shirts are available at ProWrestlingTees.com. And if you don't buy one, you don't support women. Or the Mark Order podcast, which has famously a woman on it and two fellers here. Uh, we will also ask you to leave a thumbs up on this video. It's so helpful. You have no idea how much that helps boost things in the algorithm. And to subscribe either here on YouTube or preferably both, really, in audio form, wherever you get podcasts. We appreciate the support. However, you are willing to send it to us. Got a lot coming up with uh, with All In Around the Corner. It's the same day as Matt's Barbecue from The Shining Wizard, so I doubt we'll be doing any uh, any proper watch along content for the people that are attending but uh i'm sure we will be recapping and talking about it as we move closer to that exciting weekend um asian joe plug your shit yeah you can find me on the usual socials at underscore asian joe and when you find me on there you might see in my bio a link for my serial blog review so feel free to click on that and read about horrible cereals for your health. <laughs> Speaking of links, you can find anything you need for the Mark Order podcast in our link tree, in our bio, on our Twitter account that is run by Ryan. Ryan, plug your shit. Uh, you can find me running our Twitter at Mark Order Pod. Just don't be a kid. Can you tell me what they shouldn't be? An absolute dickhead. And I'll have fun inter interacting with you. And then as a personal side project, you can follow my uh, history blog. Uh, the website is hereforhistory.com and underscore hereforhistory on Twitter. And I believe it's hereforhistory and other things. I, but hereforhistory.com. <laughs> you can also find me and Ryan in Philly this weekend. We'll be at the New Japan All-Star Junior Show. We'll be very forward to that at the 2300 Arena. If you're there, come say hi. We don't have stickers anymore really i might have some left but i can no. i can stick one on the in the men's room i'm gonna leave my home ryan's gonna leave his home that's a huge 
like All newsworthy events. Joe's got stickers. Joe's got stickers. Joe, Joe. I'm just hoarding them. I figured like they become more limited, so they're worth more now. It is true. They're uh, they're collectors' items now, so just don't worth don't at feel least the ten back. times what they were worth before. That's right. Just don't feel the back. So. <laughs> that was disrespectful, sir. Never inviting you back. But uh, we'll also be at Multiverse United on day two of that weekend on Sunday. Looking very forward to that. And then Monday, I get on a plane and I go out to Denver because I'll be speaking at Podcast Movement, which I'm very excited about. Huge podcast conference, and I get to talk all about extending your value beyond the microphone. So if you're a podcaster and you are looking for some insights on that, I will be there. You can also follow me at Miss Kate Fabe on Twitter and TikTok at Kate's on the Instagram. And you can find me just like all over Fightful in here. I'm not going to run down my shows. I talk about wrestling like every day. It's a lot, but we love it and we're here for it. But every Wednesday here at the Mark Order podcast, thank you so much. Goodbye and good night. What do I have? This concludes the Mark Order Podcast.